Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. The 2018 Year Interview episode of the Bears Talk Underground is brought to you by our new friends from Ticks Blitz. I will get that down one of these days. The official ticket provider of the Armchair Media Network. Unlike other ticketing providers that sneak in extra fees and unexplained service charges, at Ticks Blitz, the price you see is the price you pay. Unnecessary fees shouldn't prevent you from seeing the sporting event, concert, or Broadway show of your choosing. Go to TickSplits.com and enter the promo code armchair at checkout to receive 5% off your total ticket purchase. That's T-I-X-B-L-I-T-Z.com, promo code armchair. TickSplits, guaranteed seats, guaranteed emotions. The Year in Review episode is also brought to you by MyBookie. Don't be that guy with no rooting interest, even though our rooting interest ended a while back. Moment of silence. But just because the Bears are out of it doesn't mean that you have to be out of it. With Super Bowl 53 just coming around the corner, it really is the most wonderful time of year. Make sure you're ready for the daily action by signing up at MyBookie today. They pay fast when you win. Ownership really cares about good customer service, and they offer the craziest props. Where you bet is just as important as who you're betting on, and if you want to make money during the playoffs, you got to go to MyBookie. Join now, and MyBookie will offer you a 50% deposit bonus to make sure that you have a nice bankroll to work with. Use promo code BEARS25 when you deposit to activate the offer. That's promo code BEARS25. At MyBookie, you play, you win, you get paid. This week on the Bears Talk Underground, before we clean out our lockers and venture out into the offseason, Larry D comes back one last time to pay homage to the amazing year that was in 2018 and look forward to what can be in 2019. Did this season actually happen or was it all just a crazy dream? Lauren Cox from Locked on Bears joins us for the 2018 year in review episode of The Bears Talk Underground. I've been putting this off as much as I possibly can just because once I do the show, then it really is over. You know, it's just one of those things you do not want to admit that that moment on Sunday, January 6th was actually real. And unfortunately, it was. What's going on, everybody? Larity back for the season finale, the year in review episode, talking about the 2018 season and everything that was. It was... Um, far more than I think any of us could have reasonably uh, expected. You know, it, this this was the potential year. You know, it wasn't supposed to be the year that we actually did contend. I mean, and the Bears, right up until the moment that field goal was no good, were a legit threat in the NFC. And I, I, I contend, biased or not, if the field goal goes through, this this episode is the preview for the NFC Championship game. I, I have no doubt. We would have gone into L.A. And, and beaten the Rams. There's no way they put up 270 on the ground 
uh, against us. We'd have done exactly what we did the first time. We'd have shut down the running game and put it on golf and watch him crumble on national TV for the second year in a row. So it just, uh, you know, because he did it last year against the Falcons. Uh, it just, that's what we would have done. I have no doubt, none whatsoever. I have no doubt that we'll do it again in 2019. We do get to play the Rams, and we do get to go to L.A. and, and do it. So I, um, I kind of actually want the Rams to win the Super Bowl so that maybe the, the, the sexy game, because uh, we'll talk about the games for, for you know what the schedule is for the Bears next year, who their opponents are and, and everything. We go on the road to L.A. next year, and wouldn't that be something if the, first, if the Thursday night kickoff game of 2019 was Bears-Rams uh, in L.A., the defending champions are hanging their banner only to get their asses kicked by the next champ. So that would be something, wouldn't it? But, yeah, that's, that's my one rooting interest in the Rams is that they start uh, – is that the Bears are a road opponent for the Rams next year, and uh, going on the road to start the year is a possibility. The Thursday night game to kick the ever-loving piss out of the Rams <laughs> and ruin their celebration, wouldn't that just be a statement to make? to to let everyone know who the who the king of 2019 is really going to be uh i i would i would enjoy that thoroughly uh by the way but um we'll have to wait it'll be at least uh three months before we find out if that's how it's going to be when the schedule comes out in april and just before we get to to everything uh first of all i hope you're comfortable i got some snacks and some drinks and uh a comfy chair or uh you got plenty to do at work however you get down when you listen uh to the show because uh you're in for it here uh i've had lauren cox on the show love having him uh on and um yeah i broke the interview up into two pieces one will basically be the actual year in review where we will go back talk about 2018 break it all down and uh some other miscellaneous stuff along the road and and what discussion comes up and then finally, the closing segment of the show will be the um, awards. We're going to give out the, uh, the year in review uh, rewards. Uh, we're, we're, we're calling them the Larrys. I think we only actually say the word Larrys two or three times throughout the whole uh, segment. But, uh, yeah, I had some issues about what I should call uh, the actual awards. It's the, the Bearstock Underground, BTU. So I'm, okay, I'm not calling my awards the booties. Uh, I'm not calling them the undies, and so we just went with, you know, the Academy Awards or the Oscars. Well, the Bearstock Underground Awards will be the Larrys, so there you go. Anyway, um, but Lauren comes on, and uh, after talking to Lauren, I realized that uh, I did not want to have anybody else on the show because it would make it a nine-hour extravaganza, and I know some of you are for that, but... Uh, yeah, I just thought that what how you know there wasn't anything that he and I didn't cover uh, in our conversation, so we really did uh, take care of it all. So, but real quick before I get into the um, before I get into part one uh, of the uh, interview with with Lauren, where we break down the the 2018 season, I want to thank you guys uh, for for sticking uh, with me this year. This has probably been the easiest season ever. Uh, that uh, that has been e you know easy for you guys to come and and hang with me and and, and listen to the uh, to the show. Uh, I, I appreciate that that most of you guys have been around even through three and sixteen. Uh, just a couple of years ago in twenty sixteen, the frustration that was watching the Bears' offense run into a brick wall repeatedly 
2017, while our defense appeared to be a top 10 unit that was being wasted week in and week out. Uh, because with our you know because of our offensive output or more 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 specifically because of the idiots running uh, the offense and um, you know uh, using the show as a form of of therapy uh, if you will a lot of you have told me that over the last couple uh, of years it's been a trying five seasons to get to this one where it's actually a happy thing we had 12 victory Mondays uh, this season uh, a lot of interesting conversation during the preseason about what is now Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Aggie doing he's barely playing anybody how is this going to hurt us and truth be told it really didn't I don't mind if he does it again next year who cares we if we win if we win 12 or 13 games again next season and and we don't see Mitch and company in the dress rehearsal game who's going to complain you know we're we're, we're, we know what we're in for this time around so um you know I want to thank you guys uh for 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 listening to the show and um you know, for all of your, your input and your interaction on, on Twitter uh, and Facebook, it really does mean a lot to know that people are out there listening to me and I'm not just sitting in front of this desk talking to myself. So uh, it, it's nice to know you guys are out there. And I will be around uh, during the off season, probably a little bit more present than I have been in the past. This, this hiatus that I'm about to go on is probably going to only last through the Super Bowl and maybe a little bit further uh, after that generally in the past I would have basically taken the offseason off and the next time you hear from me would be around free agency well the Bears are light on cap space this year and we also don't have a first or second round pick so the off the offseason is going to be a little rough for us this year uh, but uh, at least we're not talking about top 10 picks and, and trying to you know re- revamp an all uh, a roster that really needs an injection of, of talent. Ryan Pace really knocked it out of the park this year. Um, speaking of parks, uh, Parky would probably be the, his only misfire uh, of, the, of the past offseason. Everybody else that he signed, Gabriel, Burton, Robinson, trading for Khalil Mack, drafting Anthony Miller, uh, you know, everything else that he did worked out like gangbusters. I mean, just about anybody, just about everybody he added to the roster in this particular offseason had a a huge impact re-signing Kyle Fuller even though I wasn't in uh, favor of of how the Bears went about it it worked out you know he didn't just get his money and run he got his money and and stepped up his game he got even better than he was when he earned that contract last season so that was a nice thing uh, to see so 
Yeah, it really does. Um, despite the lack of activity that we may see as far as excitement and who we sign and who we don't during the off season, it's it's going to be a it's going to be a long off season, maybe even longer than the one we just went through. I mean, how much were you dying? to see this team in action and get to it and see if they have the potential that we think they do. They, they, like I said, they exceeded any expectation, any reasonable expectation. I think anyone had, and um, it really does, you know, give you hunger pains for 2019 to hurry up and get here. A, so you can start watching this team play again and B so that we can watch them get back at it and, and reclaim their, their rightful spot. Because right now, like I said, I should be interviewing somebody from the Saints to prepare for this Sunday's NFC Championship game. That's how it should be going down right now. Uh, unfortunately, we're putting a bow uh, on this season and shutting it down uh, until until probably sometime in February. So uh, I'm trying to figure out how it is I'm going to stay a little bit more active. I have some ideas about what I want to do, and uh, I will keep you guys apprised of any uh, new episodes coming between now and free agency and, um, you know, so just stick close to the uh, to the Twitter feeds, uh, BTU underscore Larry on Twitter. And, uh, you know, also it's uh, Armchair Bears or, or is it Armchair Armchair Dub Bears on uh, Twitter, as well as the Armchair uh, Twitter feed that I contribute to uh, from time to time. And also the Facebook page, just search Bears Talk Underground on Facebook and it will come right up for you. So we're going to go ahead and uh, bring in our friend Lauren Cox. From the Locked On Bears podcast, Pro Football Focus, NBC Sports Chicago, to break down the 2018 season. And then after that, I will give you my comments, my ideas, my impressions of the Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy uh, press conference that took place this past Monday. So without further ado, my good friend Lauren Cox breaking down the 2018 Chicago Bears. So here we are having this conversation about a month earlier than I wanted to, than I think any Bear fan wanted to, but we're recapping this uh, 2018 season. It's, it's so bittersweet because the, the, you know, the sweetness being the, the season that we did have, uh, the bitter being the way that it ended and, and the fact that it is all over. And here to help me kind of dig my way through uh, the season, our, our our good friend from the Locked On Bear podcast and the eighty other things that he's got on his resume right now, Lauren Cox. Lauren, welcome back, sir. <laughs> Appreciate you having me on. I look forward to this every year. Yeah, I'm hoping to to have this either in like late January or early February this year, man. I really had a feeling about this team and and where it was going to go, but but having this conversation right now, it's just uh, not really one when I wanted to do it, you know. Yeah, I totally see what you mean. I mean, after you go 12 and 4 and win the NFC North and, you know, nine out of the last 10 games rolling into the playoffs, not exactly the ending anyone was expecting. Yeah, and and I and I've said it on my show, I believe I heard you say it on yours that it, it was one thing for the season to to end because that's the inevitable for every team but one in the NFL that the season will end in the result that you don't want. There's no team that wins the Super Bowl and we're like, ah, oh, we don't want to do that. We don't want to win the whole thing. I mean, <laughs> there isn't one team that, that that's like that. So, I mean, every team but one goes away unhappy. But for our season, with that defense, 
the the way that 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 our offense had you know it was a roller coaster for the offense but they were up and down uh throughout but we saw constant progress out of our quarterback and and, and everything for it to all come down to the guy that that we had the least amount of confidence in just was like worst case scenario for just about every bear fan out there yeah and it's kind of like of course it's going to finish like that like if you had to you know with with everything bears fans have been through here for the last boy you know 10 plus seasons if you had to you know handcraft the hollywood script for how the bears season would end it's Cody Parkey missing the game-winning field goal and hitting the goalpost for the, and and of course it going viral with a nickname from the announcer that everyone's going to remember forever the double doink. I mean it's just it's the perfect you know compiling of the worst possible way the Bears season could end. Absolutely, yeah. So and and I noticed some parallels between the the first game of the year and the last game of the year. The the Bears started the season on NBC. They ended the year on NBC. I want to say Sunday Night Football, but Technically, last game wasn't Sunday night football, but we uh, we lost by one point. We started the year with a one-point loss. We ended with a one-point loss. And in both games, our opponent had quarterbacks that the announcers could not shut up about. <laughs> yeah, Nick Foles' fever has been Jesus. taking the league by storm whenever oh, he gets back on the field. Good God, man. I mean, credit to all that, you know, the guys stepped up into a difficult situation having to carry the team with, with Wentz going down, and he's gotten the job done. And, and for the most part, you know, the Bears had found a way to kind of bottle him up until that last drive, which is what kind of feeds the whole thing uh, with Foles. But, uh, yeah, it, it was like, I mean, obviously not to the same extreme that it was with Rodgers in week one, but – it was a lot of love for Nick Foles going on in that game, and it was just it was super annoying, especially when we come out on the losing end of it. But yeah, so those were the those were the parallels on NBC. One point loss, quarterback that the announcers couldn't shut up about. It bookended the year perfectly, I guess, if you want to look at it uh, that way. So, but but real quick, and we'll kind of zoom through the schedule here quickly. So we'll talk about that one point loss. You know, first quarter of the year. Um, you know, the, the, one of the most highly anticipated week ones in, in recent bear memory, it's, uh, you know, we've been waiting all off season to see what this team is going to look like new head coach, you know, on a, a more imaginative offense. We sign a plethora of new offensive weapons to, uh, you know, for, for Mitch to throw the football to, um, you know, and then obviously just eight days before the game, we add the biggest piece to the puzzle, which would be the the huge trade for Khalil Mack, and we come out, we're winning this game seventeen to nothing. We got a twenty to nothing lead at one point, and then it all falls apart in the fourth quarter because Aaron Rodgers and his bionic bad knee throw three touchdown passes to to win that game. And uh, you know, everyone, I I lost my mind. I'm sure I talked to you about it about how much the Michaels and, and Collinsworth kept blowing up what what. Uh, what what Rodgers actually did uh, in that game did did it bother you at all, or you were more concerned about the Bears losing the game? Yeah, I mean, I I get that Collinsworth and Michael's job is to try and play up the you know the dramatic effects of the game and you know try and make it seem like it's as big of a deal as possible. So I I get it from their perspective, but yeah, for me that game was almost more about how the Bears offense completely fell apart in that second half. And it was just like three and out after three and out after three and out. And the defense was on the field for these long drives and never got a break. And that's 
that to me was the biggest reason Aaron Rodgers was able to come back. They just went to that no huddle. There was no pass rush, and, and it just fell apart from there. Right. And But we bounce back. Our home opener, we get Seattle on Monday night. The game was not quite as close as the final score would indicate, 24-17. to 17. The defense adds six more sacks on Russell Wilson. Uh, you know, we get a we get a pick six out of Prince of Mukamura and, you know, Mitch has a, a kind of an inconsistent day, but does enough to help us get our first win. Then in Arizona, that's where, you know, like the probably the one time all year I was like, what kind of team do we really have here? We just got down a 14 point, you know, a deficit to the Arizona Cardinals, uh, who were just a terrible football team uh, this year. But slowly but surely we build our way back and we win that one. And then the biggest, you know, mind F of the season, we come out uh, home against the Buccaneers, who at the time, best offense in football. These guys put up 80 on the Saints week one, and they beat the Philadelphia Eagles and, and, and all the rest of that stuff. We shut them down completely. We win the game 48-10, to 10 and Mitch throws for six touchdowns, and we were all thinking slash hoping, is this, was this the epiphany? Did, is this the moment? where it really clicks for Mitch, and he's just going to go Pat Mahomes on the rest of the league. <laughs> Obviously, that, that doesn't happen, but it was a, a pretty impressive stretch there to start the season. I mean, losing by one point to Green Bay and then you know winning out 3-1 and one going to the bye week, I think that was about as good you know, as you would expect going into that first quarter of the year, especially you know Tampa Bay with the way that they were playing and, and Seattle. Maybe there were higher expectations for them the way that they played, but still, I mean, that was – not necessarily the easiest stretch. I mean, I think some debate about Arizona there, but still, I, I think that's about as good as you could have hoped going into that bye week. Right. So we come after the bye week. We had a week five bye, and there was some like I was in support of it. You know, we get a week, we get a first, you know, the first four weeks in there. We get a good look at, at assess what's right, what's wrong, and you know, we come back and and we're good to go. Number one and number two, as a fan, you get that stupid bye week out of the way and it's done. You know, but it just seemed to kill all the momentum in the world that the Bears had because we came out as flat as ten day old soda in 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 Miami. Number one, we're wearing those god awful, goddamn orange jerseys that I will hate until I die. And <laughs> you know, we come in that South Florida heat, the humidity, and forget how to tackle for an afternoon. Khalil Max sprains his ankle, and we just we we have an opportunity to win it in overtime. And Cody Parkey, good old Cody Parkey hooks a field goal at least he didn't bang it off the upright on that one but he he missed it it was a 53 yarder so chances are it probably wasn't going to be you know the the odds on him making it are not that good to begin with but he missed it and Miami ends up winning the game and then we come home a week later we give Brady and company all that they can handle but we end up losing that one too and we went from being three and one in first place the clear front runner in the NFC North to be in three and three, and for that week that we were three and three, the Bears were in last place again. <laughs> yeah, it was a a little bit of a familiar feeling at that point that every everything crashing down. But in both of those games, I mean, especially the Dolphins game felt about as fluky as you can get. And I yeah. don't mean to just write it off completely, but clearly there wasn't another game all year that matched the Bears' performance in that one. It was just a just I, I don't know if we'll ever get the proper explanation for what went wrong in that game. But then, you know, the Patriots game, it's like it takes two special teams touchdowns for yeah. New England to beat them. So there was at least some of that feeling like, OK, maybe the last two weeks have been everything goes wrong. And I think there's as good a time for everything to go wrong as week seven when you have the rest of the year to build up a winning streak that would follow. 
Yes, and, and, and it started with the 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 worst half of the NFC or the AFC East because we played them all four games in a row there with Miami and New England. Then we followed it up with with relatively easy wins over the Jets and the Bills. The Bills being a forty-one to nine uh, victory where the defense scored almost as many points as the offense did uh, in that one. And both Miami and excuse me, the Jets. So the New York and Buffalo, no Allen Robinson, no Khalil Mack. They were both nursing injuries. I think Robinson was a was it a hamstring with Robinson? Was it that a hamstring? Sounds right, but I I believe it was like remember. a soft tissue injury for him, like a hamstring or a groin that kept him groin. out for two weeks. Okay, and then Khalil Mack, obviously with the ankle injury, he tried to play through it against New England, was largely ineffective uh, in that game. Um, but the you know what to talk about that for a second. The biggest problem that I had with 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 Khalil Mack in the New England game was probably not even Khalil Mack's fault, but probably more Fangio's fault. Because when I talked to my New England Patriots guy heading into that game, he was sweating bullets over the fact that our that their right tackle was going to miss the game and we're going to have like this rookie undrafted free agent starting at right tackle. And Vic never lined Khalil Mack up over that kid. He was constantly over on the left side with the left tackle uh, Brown, I think, from that they traded for from the 49ers, he lined up against him almost every snap instead of putting this veteran future Hall of Fame all-pro guy over on the rookie right tackle. And I never understood why we did it that way. And that was the game when Khalil Mack dropped back into coverage more often than he pass rushed. It's just a weird yeah. – I don't know if that's Vic trying to throw something at Tom Brady that he's not going to expect. I mean, I know Tom Brady is – historically been one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL against the blitz so maybe you know because he's he's so good at identifying where the weakness in coverage is when you're sending pass rushers maybe the thought process is send drop an eight back in more often is going to take away those quick throws from Tom Brady and I guess to some extent it worked in, in, the, in the sense that you know the Patriots offense was only able to put up let's see so quick math would tell me 17 points I believe with the two special teams touchdowns so in that sense maybe it kind of worked but it still looked bizarre and and didn't didn't leave you with a lot of confidence in this Bears defense. Right. So, I mean, yeah, we, we came away from those back-to-back losses, you know, with it, definitely a hangover uh, for sure with the way we kind of stormed our way through the first four weeks. Then it's like we lose to the Dolphins. And when we felt all along, like you said, the word that I would lose, not, not to try to take anything away from the Dolphins, they definitely got it done, but it did. there was a fluky element to it. Like everything kind of lined up perfectly. We're coming off the bye. We're rusty. We're wearing those lousy jerseys. The humidity and the heat, never, I'm never going to let it go. My fans tell me, my listeners, they want me to let it go. With the, I'm never letting it go. With the, I absolutely hate them. That's one of the main reasons I want to get Hakeem Hicks on the show. I've kind of been bugging him on Twitter lately about trying to get him on the show because he's the one that lit the fire that is the orange jerseys coming back in 2018, and I need to hold him to account for that. So I, It's clearly his fault. Absolutely. He's the one who started it. He's the one who went on Twitter and said, boy, wouldn't this look good? Somebody photoshopped an orange jersey on him because he wasn't around when the orange jerseys were in play. So somebody photoshopped an orange jersey on him. He tweets a picture of it. Next thing you know, a couple of weeks later, we're talking about orange jerseys in two games this year. Worst two weeks of my life. But, um, you know, it just uh, the, the way that it happened, you're kind of wondering, you know, we, we lose that game to Miami. Like you said, there was a fluky element to that. But it's like we, we also lost again to the Patriots. And, and as the Patriots do, we found new and creative ways to lose that game with special teams going sideways on us uh, on that one. And kind of wondering, well, what kind of team do we have? And then we show up against the Jets. We show up against the Bills. But those were two of the lesser teams 
in the league this year, so it still kind of left some doubt going into it. And then we come into the third quarter of the season. We had that three-game stretch that we'd all circled on the, on the schedule when it came out. Three games, 11 days, all divisional games, and we'll really know after this first eight weeks, seven weeks, whatever we got, we'll really know what we have. After that three-game stretch, if we win at least two of them, we'll know the Bears are for real. Yeah, and there was some kind of feeling that you know, after playing the Packers so close, I mean, despite everything else that had happened that season, there was still this kind of confidence in those interdivisional games that, you know, as much as Green Bay was, it was supposed to be the Green Bay and Minnesota competition for first play. Right. And the Bears kept injecting themselves into that. And the Lions at that point in the season weren't, you know, completely out of it yet, but there were some starting to be some doubts about whether they would be in it. But the fact that the Bears were able to stick with those top teams, despite what had happened against the Dolphins and the Patriots, I think there was some expectation and some confidence that, hey, you know what, especially the Lions at home in the first one, it's like, okay, the Bears can take care of business in that one, but then the Vikings in prime time on Sunday night was going to be kind of the big, it's the big test. As much as the Patriots were a big test, it's it's not quite the same when it's New England and it's the dynasty and it's Tom Brady and it's Bill Belichick. I mean, you kind of, you almost expect to lose that one almost every time, but when it's the Vikings at home in prime time, week 11, kind of, you know, the Bears are riding in a couple wins into that game, but the Vikings are still trying to keep their, you know, their competition in first place there. That was, I think, one of the critical and, and defining games for the season, even though it wasn't a, a, a lopsided victory and it wasn't even a, the most uh, pretty offensive performance. It just, it said a lot about this team to be able to fight through that and come out on top. Yeah, and and you mentioned you know losing to the dynasty and 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 the Patriots and all that kind of stuff. I remember you know when, when I was talking to my Patriots guy and on on the show, I just I told him that at, you know if we have to lose, I just want it to be close because I think like the combined score of the two previous games. And granted, one of those games was against the last playoff team the Bears had in 2010. Brady and company come into a snow-driven Soldier Field and murdered that team. They just it was like this is the difference between where we are and where we want to be. That that was that game. It was a uh, the the national game on on CBS that year and all that kind of stuff ran us off the field. I think the score was like 40 something to 10 or 7 or something ridiculous like that. And then we all know how bad it went in in Foxborough in 2014, where the the highlight of the game was Lamar Houston blowing out his knee after sacking Jimmy Garoppolo in the fourth quarter. Um, I just wanted it to be competitive and close because I thought that if the Bears can at least do that, then we know we're on the right track. And, you know, we were Kevin White one yard away from sending that game to overtime on the Hail Mary. But uh, that not that sound like a crazy sentence? We're a Kevin White touchdown catch away from going to overtime. Anyway... But, you know, like you said, we come into this, we got that national TV game. It was flexed into national TV. It was supposed to be a noon kickoff, so it was flexed to the national stage. We're unfortunately wearing the orange jerseys again, so already I'm not feeling good about it. But we dominate that game against Minnesota. It wasn't as close as 25-20 to 20 final score would have you uh, believe, but it really did say a lot. The Bears did answer the call against what was supposed to be the, the team in our division, and we beat them on national TV for the whole world to see. There were some parallels there to me to what would have been, I think, 2015, John Fox's first year when Jay Cutler came back from injury and beat the Minnesota Vikings in kind of that big upset where the Vikings were undefeated at that point and you know, the Bears weren't expected to stand a chance. And I, I know that wasn't quite the same feeling going into the Vikings game, but it felt like a similar, like, 
coming of of I don't want to say coming of age, but like coming of the team. That I, I know the Bears had, I believe, a better record going into this game, but it still felt like everyone was expecting the Vikings to win. You know, Kirk Cousins had said we're we're on prime time because of us. You know, and even though they scored late, the Bears shut them out in the first half and you know three points of the first three quarters that was a like i said a little bit more of a, a season defining win up to that point kind of telling the rest of the nfl or at least the first sign to the rest of the nfl that these bears were here to stay and were a little bit more legitimate of a contender than a lot of people thought at least for a few more weeks yeah then on the shortest turnaround what i've, I've heard i don't know if it's how true it is that the shortest turnaround in nfl history between games less than 85 hours between the the, the, the gun sounding off at the end of the Minnesota game to the opening kickoff Thursday morning against the, the Lions on, on Thanksgiving. Back and forth uh, battle between these two division rivals. The Bears always seem to, at the very least, allow Detroit to, play, to stay in the game when we're in Detroit. It's always tougher on the road against the Lions. But in the end, it's Eddie Jackson and his pick six that win us the game. Uh, and, and we have two of the greatest touchdown celebrations ever in that game. First with Eddie directing everyone in the calisthenics. I thought that was great. And then, of course, the, the Motown review that takes place in the end zone after the Cowell a Fuller interception to seal the game. That's, that's still my favorite of the year. I was like, I want to know who was choreographing those touchdown celebrations. That guy deserves a medal. But, um, you know, but we had those three games circled. We were wondering what kind of team we would have. Those back-to-back games in, in, in 12-day span, we played three games, three division rivals, and we came out 3-0. and And... You know, it's like, yeah, we're we're for real now. We're what nine, eight and three, nine and three after those first after those games, and it's like, yeah, we're we're on a roll now, and everybody needs to pay attention to this team. And it, it spoke volumes that um, Chase Daniel could come in for that Lions game and win on a short week, you know, without Mitchell Trubisky, and the fact that it showed it just showed how much the rest of the team was in position to step up and carry this team to victory. I mean, even in that game, the Bears as a team rushed for 38 yards. So your backup quarterback with no running game defeats the the Detroit Lions on a short week, perhaps the shortest week in NFL history. I mean, that to me said more than I think we realized at the time. Right. And then let's talk a little bit about that Giants game. Um, we have, I mean, this, that's the one thing that, that uh, you know, as far as to-do list for the Bears in 2019 for Matt Nagy, is um, I know that we had some kind of deficit in both of those games. Number one, the Miami game, and I'm going to say it again, the orange jerseys. Number two, coming off the bye, that kind of thing, the heat, the humidity of Miami. So we had things going against us that kind of worked. And, and obviously it did affect us throughout the game. Uh, the defense was absolutely worn out. The offense, for the most part, wasn't putting drives together. Because I remember, you know, I think when we came out in the, in the, in the second half there, we scored three points in like five plays or something bananas like that. I mean, we had the, the touchdown, like a four-play drive. Kyle Fuller intercepts a pass. Then Mitch throws a touchdown on the very next play. We score 14 points in like 12 seconds or something crazy like that. But, you know, then we come off the, the mini-buy where without our quarterback, because Trubisky was, had that injury against Minnesota, um, it was raining out outside, and then two of the flukiest interceptions that you're ever going to find. Chase Daniel hits Alec Ogletree in the face with the football, and he ends up catch like he just actually ends up hanging onto it, runs it in seven yards for a touchdown, and then that crazy one-handed interception that he will never duplicate ever again in his career. 
eliminates what would have probably been a touchdown pass to Tariq Cohen and those and the two the the, the touchdown pass from oh the, just so many things that went bananas in that game that if if the if the Giants had played the game straight up we probably beat them if not for all these crazy uh, plays that they the that they that bounced their way in that game. Yeah, and I th- think Chase Daniel was charged with four fumbles in that game. I know he didn't lose all four of them. I think might have only lost one, but still, I mean, so many different things like that. I mean, it seemed like the Giants had so many penalties and the Bears just couldn't take advantage of it. Like, so many opportunities for the Bears to win that game. So many things that clicked right for the Giants. And, you know, credit to the Bears for kind of staging that late comeback drive. You know, I think it was ended with a parky field goal and then a, a, a trick pass Tariq Cohen to Anthony Miller touchdown there to send it into overtime, which, I mean, what a call from Matt Nagy. It's yeah. a, whole other, a whole other discussion, but... It just a, another weird game. I mean, Eli Manning throws for 170 yards and the Giants win in overtime and Chase Daniel puts up 285 and that's not enough. I mean, just twice weird things happen to the Bears and yeah. kind of the only the only uh, dark spot on that whole second half of the season. It is literally the only dark spot in the entire second half of the season. It's the one game that we lost out of our last 10 and it was the one time that our off our defense, I should say, was I mean I, I know we had, we gave up 100 yards to Frank Gore I believe in that in that Miami loss but we gave up over 100 yards to Saquon Barkley uh, in that game the number one rush defense in the NFL couldn't defend the run in that game so that's another one of those kind of you know sideways things that happens uh, in that play let me ask you because we haven't had a chance to talk uh, most of the season or at least not in depth anyway because I've gotten a lot of flack for this I completely disagreed with Nagy kicking the field goal instead of uh, at, at the end of the game there the you know the kicking the field goal then going for the onside not because of the the likelihood of an onside but more so because that was the one thing that the offense had trouble doing was getting that deep into giant territory that day for one reason or another we struggled to get inside the red zone and there we were so why not take advantage of this opportunity and try to get the touchdown now instead kick the I mean it ended up working out but I was in disagreement with the move I thought we should have gone for the touchdown first what what were you if you can remember what were you thinking in that moment no I was right there with you I remember exactly what you're talking about like they get down to the Giants like inside inside the five I don't remember if it was yeah, like it was two close. or three yards but I mean they were right there and as much as Cody Parkey had had some success moving the ball at times in the game. It was never, I mean, I never was sitting there feeling like, okay, or I'm not Cody Parkey, excuse me, Chase, Chase Daniel. Daniel. Yeah. I, I, as much as I, I, he had some success moving the ball, I was never confident that he could lead this team on a, a game winning touchdown drive, let alone two back to back game tying scoring exactly. drives to send yeah. it to overtime. So yeah, when you get to the three yard line, when, when the bears had really struggled to even crack the red zone for most of the game, I, uh, especially with a, a guy like Matt Nagy, who's known for being aggressive in those types of situations, right. I was definitely surprised. I was, I would have potentially gone for it there as well, but it, it worked out enough to send him into overtime and potentially set up a, a you know potential opportunity to keep the game alive at at the end. But I mean, the fact that Chase Daniel wasn't able to do it in overtime maybe lends a little bit of credence to the idea that it's it's, it's really hard to get into the scoring range and to score a touchdown to win a game like that. So when you have the opportunity to be at the you know inside the five you you got to go for the big score yeah yeah so okay so we're on the same page with that so then the the last four games 
And you and I talked over the summer. We talked again when we did the first quarter review about the, the those last four games. Uh, you know, it, 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 the, the, it hadn't been decided what the 49ers were at that point. So, but it's like the Rams, the 49ers, the Packers, or excuse me, the Rams, the Packers, the 49ers, and the Vikings. That's a lot of important opponents in the end of the at the end of the season. If the 49ers are the team that everyone's thinking they're going to be, that game could have some meaning. Obviously, uh, a game at the end of the season with Green Bay is going to have meaning regardless of the records. Then, you know, will the game at the end of the season with Minnesota have any credence for either of those teams? Oh, yeah, and the Rams are coming to town. Another game that got flexed into uh, Sunday Night Football's national stage. And what we thought might be the most difficult section of the year ends up being the only one where we went undefeated. Yeah, there's something crazy about that, too. I mean, as much as, you know, when you get there, the context changes a little bit that the 49ers are obviously out of it. And right. by then, the Packers had fired their head coach. So, I mean, they were out of it. But still, uh, you know, like you said, whether whether either team has fired their head coach, when it's Green Bay and Chicago, the, the games always mean something. So I'm, I'm not trying to minimize the importance of that one because even with Joe Philbin, that, that game still said something about this Bears team. But to beat the Rams the way they did and to end the season beating the Vikings the way they did – yeah. I mean, that was, I think that was what gives Bears fans the most confidence going into the playoffs. And it was kind of the final payoff and reward for this regular season that, you know, at long last cemented, at least nationally, that this Chicago Bears team was here to play. That even at 8 and 3 in first place in the NFC North and winning a game with your backup quarterback, there were still all these doubts about the team. And, and I understand that. I mean, they hadn't necessarily beaten any big time playoff teams and they had lost some games in some weird ways. So I, I get it from a national standpoint, but it was the victory over the Rams that, that really put them on the map, and then the Vikings win sealed it firmly, I think, nationally, that there was a lot of confidence in this team finally going to the playoffs after that, and, well, that's a, that's a different discussion. Let's talk real quick about that 49er game, because um, the, the writer that I had on the show, uh, Oscar Aparicio. Good guy. Um, yeah, he is. I enjoy talking to him quite a bit, but there was one moment when he had me on his show where things got a little tense because he would not give Mitch any credit for the day that he had against the 49ers. Now, granted, I know that, you know, th- that Mitch was not challenging the, the 49ers by throwing the football downfield aside from like two plays, like the, t- the, the deep pass to uh, Allen Robinson, the, the throw that went from the throw to, to take one for 26 yards. Uh, uh, other than that, it was first read boom, five yards here, six yards there, or whatever. But he went 25 for 29, threw a touchdown pass in that game, and yet he kept harping on that stupid pitch that he made to Tariq Cohen and the interception that could have been had it not been for a holding penalty on the 49ers to say that Mitch isn't a good quarterback uh, or that why he isn't a good quarterback, why he can't be trusted, why you know there's some you know a lot of work to be done there and and blah 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 and it really kind of pissed me off because because I I compared his performance this year to the one that Jimmy Garoppolo had last year against the Bears where Garoppolo threw an interception you know but he he didn't score any touchdowns against the Bears defense last year but he was something like 25 of 30 against the Bears pretty much any time the ball left at hand his hands it met the target that's the point I was trying to make he kept trying to make it about the mistakes that Mitch made as to like I guess his his issue was me comparing my quarterback to his 
And, you know, like the, the, these two don't – there's no comparison there, even though they had very similar days in, in the two games that were played. Yeah, I mean, that one's one of those Mitch performances. It's just like he's he does everything he's asked to do. Yeah. But he's just not asked to do a lot. And it's not necessarily his fault that he wasn't asked to do a lot. And he hit, you know, those two downfield throws. You're right. It was, I think, 43 yarder to Allen Robinson and 26 to Mizell. And there was one other uh, deeper one over the middle. I want to say Trey Burton. No, it wouldn't have been Burton. Anthony Miller, maybe. Or, I think so. I don't yeah. remember who, but he. he or, it may have actually been Gabriel, exactly. wasn't it? It was Ben Broniker. I just looked Broniker, at Ben Broniker Jesus in the middle Christ. for yeah, 18 right. yards. Yeah. I knew it was a tight end. Um, so, but, but I mean, he, he takes care of the football. He does what he's asked to do. And I'm, I wouldn't. I'm not. I mean, I'm not going to go and say this was a, you know, over the top, impressive, dominant performance from Mitchell no. Trubisky. But he took care of the football. I, yeah. I believe it was. Uh, I think Kevin Fishbane from the Athletics said it was a Bears record for completion percentage in games with at least like 16 pass attempts. So. I mean, when you take care of the football and you win the game and you you score a touchdown and you know you don't turn the ball over, although he got he tried away with one in that game and yeah, actually he did fumble and lose the ball that way, but didn't throw an actual interception. And I, I get I get where Oscar's coming from and that it wasn't the, this you know game changing game breaking performance from Mitch, but right he did, he did exactly what he was asked to do and and he won the game and at, at that point that's that's all you need. And I think he he and I were misunderstanding each other about the point that each other were trying to make there. I wasn't trying to say that, that, uh, that, that Mitch dominated or that Mitch was the reason that we won the game. I was just trying to compare his performance to the one that Garoppolo made the year before, you know, they, they both had these highly efficient, uh, games. He was like 25 of 30. Mitch was 25 of 29 or, or something like that. They both had mistakes that they want back, but what they were asked to do and what they did was enough to get their team uh, the victory in their games was the point I was trying to make. And I thought, and I think that he saw it as, as me trying to compare Mitch to Jimmy Garoppolo, and I think that that's where it got touchy for him. So I never get a chance to talk to him about it after uh, the show, but I think that's maybe where the, the miscommunication was. He was looking at it as a, as, as a comparison of players I was looking at it as more as a comparison of the games that each player had in, in their respective uh, games. So maybe that's where it was. And I, said, yeah, you're, I think you mentioned that uh, Jimmy Garoppolo had an interception in that game too. And, and I he guess did. Mitch technically didn't, but still threw the one. But, right, yeah, but they, I, I totally see what you mean. Yeah, I mean, the, I mean, the mistake that obviously Mitch would probably want back is making that stupid pitch to Tariq Cohen. Like because when I saw it happening, as soon as the ball leaves, I'm like, what are you doing? Why do that? Why? And, you know. <laughs> You know, Tariq doesn't come down with it. So, you, you know, obviously it was Mitch's mistake, but Tariq still could have caught the ball and taken the loss or whatever. But Mitch should have just eaten the, the play or whatever. You know, just that was a stupid thing that he did uh, on that play. That's the mistake that he'd want to have back. And, you know, luckily the referee, the, the 49ers had the holding penalty, which was legit, by the way, on that interception. So it's, it wasn't like some bogus call the referees just gave and we got lucky or anything. We got lucky, period, but still. So anyway, that's one thing I want to talk about. And then going into the Minnesota game, where were you at with what you wanted the Bears to do? Were you cool with Nagy saying we're going to play to win the game? Uh, I mean, you know, I mean, hindsight being what it is, 2020 and and all the rest of that. Did you know? Did you want them to rest the starters because we, we're locked in? Were we, did you want to keep playing for the bye? You know, even though the likelihood of the 49ers beating the Rams was low to begin with. Where was your mindset going into week 17? So 
I mean, I recognized right away that it's a no-win situation for Matt Nagy, right? right? That if he if he plays the starters and somebody gets hurt or whatever, which it ended up happening to some minor extent, then well, you know, he could get all the blame for playing starters and not resting them. Or if they rest their starters and then they lose the game and then they lose their first round of the playoffs, then you know, well, then he should have played the starters in Minnesota. I mean, there's a lot of ways when that could have gone wrong for Matt Nagy. So I I under, I mean, I could kind of see. The, the idea behind both, but I, I agree generally with the idea of playing the starters and at least at least through halftime to kind of see how the 49ers game was going to go and and playing it for the rest of the game I didn't have a problem with. I felt like, you know, resting your starters in Week 17 can be more of a thing when you're an established, I don't want to say dynasty, but at least a, a year-to-year contender where, like, this isn't new for you and this is something your players are experienced with and have been through year-to-year. But I felt like this was a Bears team this year. They were overachieving a little bit from where we expected and they were kind of just you know riding the wave of the excitement and the, the high-quality play that they've been getting from both sides of their ball. So I felt like it was important for them to kind of maintain that energy. I felt like in some of their losses – we had seen the energy kind of dissipate from this team. So to maintain that through week 17, ride it into the playoffs and kind of keep that momentum going, the winning streak going, that confidence going, and you know that club dub energy at the yeah. end of every game to carry them into the week. I thought winning was more important. Even if the win didn't mean anything, wins meant more to this team, even in a non-important situation, than maybe it would to the New England Patriots in week 17 or the New Orleans Saints in week 17. When they've been to the playoffs every year and they, they have a Super Bowl quarterback and they don't need to play in Week 17, but I felt like this Bears team—they're young, they're energetic, and they—they've been really feeding off of the victories that they had. I thought it was important to just play through Minnesota, pretty well dominate Minnesota the way that they did, and and yeah. bring that confidence into the playoffs. Yeah, that was a super impressive win. Uh, the way that we beat Minnesota in a place, uh, even though it's a new stadium, but in a place where we historically do not show up and we, we you know it, it's it's very rare that the bears win in minnesota and always seems like we find a way to win when we're headed someplace you know we, we beat them there in 2006 we beat them there in 2010 we beat them there this year and coincidentally all three of those seasons saw us going to the postseason so you know maybe that's the key to the postseason is winning in minnesota we'll well you know we even <laughs> regardless we were headed there anyway but unfortunately as it was in 2010 our result in the the result in week 17 ended up being our undoing and this time back in 2010 it was we need to beat green bay to keep them out of the playoffs we didn't do that green bay beats us in the nfc championship game this time it's if we win philadelphia is in and we win philadelphia's in and philly's the team that ends up beating us the wild card round now we talked briefly uh before we got started um, and I apologize for blubbering and, and the crying. It was uh, I hadn't had a chance to get that out yet, so I apologize. But we did it in private, so it's not embarrassing. Um, <laughs> but you know, it's um, it was as it had been all year long, which is another reason why I'm so sad that the season is over. Every game that the Bears played in was was either interesting or exciting or fun to watch from one aspect or another. I mean, even in the in the in the Miami game. It was just something about the fight that this team had to keep coming. Even though you could tell the defense was completely worn out, they pushed through. I mean, that play that Akeem Hicks made in overtime, they're literally inches away from scoring a touchdown to end the game. Akeem gets in there, rips the ball out of Kenyon Drake's hands, and the Bears recover it. The next thing you know, we have new life. We drive the football down the field to put ourselves in a position to kick the field goal, and unfortunately, Parkey couldn't push it through. But there was that. There was, you know, 
coming back with you know 14 points or 12 points 11 points whatever it was at the end of the Giants game to send that to overtime the you know the Kevin White catch I mean how exciting was that for him to actually come down with that catch and be a yard away from sending that to overtime and and all the rest of that stuff Kyle Fuller dropping the interception week one that one still stings by the way oh we should have won that game but you know still it's just like even in our losses we went down fighting as opposed to having some of those embarrassing, gut-wrenching losses that we had under Fox and Tressman. There's just, you know, all the way through the wild card round, it was exciting, it was fun, edge of your seat, you're ripping your hair out, but there's no other place you'd rather be than watching that game. And I still felt some of that, you know, down the stretch in that wild card game when, when Mitch goes on that touchdown drive to bring the team back in and yeah. and you know of course Nick Foles goes down at the end and the Bears defense is right there at the goal line trying to make some stops I mean it was as much as the first half of that game was pretty ugly and it was kind of Chicago Bears January style football it just it, there was there was still excitement there and I think there's still a lot of things that we can take away from that as we eventually move ahead to 2019 yeah yeah, I mean, <laughs> how bananas was that Anthony Miller thing at the end of the first half? I mean, he catches the he catches the ball and Cravon LeBlanc all at the same time, and because he held on to Cravon LeBlanc, Cravon was able to, you know, technically rip the ball out of his hands for a fumble. Nobody picks it up, and then it ends up not being what it actually was because nobody picks it up. I mean, it's. They had to dig deep into the rule book to find a way to actually show that why that was a legit call. But talk about a crazy sequence of, of moments there where, you know, Anthony Miller makes this amazing catch. Cravon LeBlanc makes a, a, you know, arguably an even better defensive play. And yet both are negated completely because the referee blew the whistle too soon. Yeah, I mean, just kind of a, a cherry on top of a weird first half where yeah. Mitch gets away with a couple of interceptable passes and and you're kind of left going into that halftime with what was it I think a a six, six to, to three, three. Yeah. score and you're like okay all things considered the Bears going into halftime there up by three not not oh, not as bad as it could have been and you know but at the same time the Bears off it's not taking advantage of some Nick Foles turnovers in that stretch as well so yeah. I mean it just it was a weird I, I mean, it was it was like the Bears' defense was doing what it was supposed to do, and the offense couldn't necessarily pick up from what they had been able to take advantage of so often this season, and yet still driving down some of those field goal drives where they get they get pretty close and they have opportunities right near the end zone, like Anthony Miller there, and just I don't know as, as poor as it seemed like Mitchell Trubisky had played in that first half, they were a three point lead, and he comes back in the second half and and steps it up even further, and even yeah. then still not enough. Yeah, he was lights out in the second. I mean, the last like quarter and a half, you know, he was definitely the better quarterback on the field. Uh, the throws that that he was making uh, there, you know, I, was like, I give uh, credit to Philly that you know keeping that spy on Mitch, which kept him in the pocket instead of allowing him to to run wild like he did on a lot of teams um, this year. Um, you know, it was it was just you know heartbreaking for this for that season to end that way. Um, a definite hard pill. Uh, to swallow you know watching it unfold uh, the way that it did for for it to come down to Parky and where are you in in the in the train of thought about it being any different if he had just hooked it as opposed to it going off the damn upright again 
I think it – I mean I don't think it would be – okay. So I think hitting the upright meant something and made it a little bit worse. But I yeah. don't know how much better it would be if he had just hooked it. That Cody Parkey would still be just as hated. And I think perhaps it may have been worse uh, if he had just hooked it because now that – you know when you go back and see the slight tip and the fact that it hits the upright and maybe you can you can kind of justify that, okay – if you're hitting the upright, that means you're inches away from it potentially going in. And if the fingertips are enough to just move it a couple inches to one direction, maybe, you know, maybe that makes – it gives a little bit of just a sliver of doubt about maybe when it left Cody Parkey's foot. It could have potentially been close enough to maybe just barely go in. I mean, you know, there's just like that that sliver of a doubt that backs up Parkey. Parky a little bit, whereas if he had just completely hooked it and, and no one had touched it or anything, then then, then he gets one hundred percent of the blame. When maybe in this case it's down to ninety nine. Right. Yeah. I mean, I I don't know how I you know because I've I've heard some people say that well it would have been better if he'd have just missed it. It's like he did miss it. He did. So it doesn't change anything. You know, it it doesn't make him less of a bad kicker or you know if anything the fact that he got tipped and everything goes in his favor. A little bit. I mean, especially with the, because the guy got a fingertip on it instead of just blocking it outright. That's more the defender making a good play than it is Parky being, you know, making a bad kick or, you know, the tra- trajectory being too low or any of that nonsense. The guy made a really good play to get enough of the football to get enough of the trajectory change for it to uh, bang it off the upright. But I just think, think like a lot of Bear fans kind of took it as a slap in the face or a middle finger from the football gods that it went off the upright again, which has been the running joke on Cody Parkey since the Lions game. Yeah, and that, I mean that's that that's where uh, this debate is hard because it's like the ridicule almost goes up because he hit the upright again. Like it's right. more topical and, and viral and you know easier to make fun of whereas if he just kind of missed it it's just well Cody Parkey is a bad kicker but if it's like but because he ate the upright again it's like it's hard to be specifically bad in that way it's so hard to hit the upright even when you're trying so right it's it's more funny it's more it's a bigger national story when he hits the upright versus like I don't think he goes on the today show if he hooks that wide but because he hits the upright and because he had been known for hitting the uprights earlier in the season and Collinsworth calls it the double doink, you know, then that's kind of what made it yeah. go viral. But it doesn't make the miss any better or worse necessarily. Yeah. Thanks for that, Collinsworth, Dick. Now the double doink that we got to listen to that for the next seven months. But, you know, it, it just did you hear him on uh, did you hear him on Saturday night when Adam Vinatieri uh, hit the upright? And he, he said that wasn't a doink. That was a dong. No, I guess I missed that part. Um, he, he was trying real hard. He was. Well, good for him. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it just it, – it's uh, – and I think maybe that's why Bear fans have more of an issue with the going it off, with it going off the upright because – and I think actually, you know, to kind of play devil's advocate here, that's why I think some of us would have preferred that he just missed it because then he's just a bad kicker. You know, it, it's, it's not the same – it's not a joke the way that it is that he banged it off the damn upright and that he did it twice and that it gave Collinsworth the, 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 the carte blanche to create the phrase double doink that we now have to listen to for, from now until the end of time. You know, this, coin, this phrase that he coined in the moment because not only did it go off the, the upright, it also went off the crossbar. So we missed the field goal twice on the same play. 
and it was by the guy who had done it five times previous and four times in one game and and all the rest of that stuff i guess that's maybe where the issue is that you know it becomes a joke if he just misses it he's a lousy kicker and like you said he's not going on the today show because he's not the butt of the joke of of the the season uh and whatnot but he bangs it off the upright as he had done previously and you know collinsworth throws in the double doink thing that's what kind of sends this thing into infamy and when when you were watching that live and it hits the upright and and it's not you can tell as soon as it hits the upright it's not bouncing outside it's bouncing back inside yeah. you have like a second and a half of like oh my god is that bouncing in like when it comes down and hits the center upright that maybe it's going to bounce over and inside but i mean like for me personally it wasn't until the kick hit the ground that i could really tell in that split second that it was a missed field goal that like it hit the upright and curved back inside i was like oh my god is he getting the redemption of hitting the post and it actually working for him wouldn't that have been something i mean did, did that go through your head at all actually no as soon as i as soon as i saw it was headed towards the upright all i could think was not again not again not again not again <laughs> not again and then it hit the upright and you know i immediately you know cover my hands i close my eyes and whatever. i didn't notice the double doink thing until nbc tried to show us the several angles they didn't have of it going off the crossbar you know wasn't that <laughs> embarrassing for nbc they kept trying to show it going off the crossbar and they had literally like zero angles of the of it actually happening because yeah. the, the one from behind zoomed in so tight on the ball that all you saw was it go off the upright then the one that was from the sidelines that was way tight on the football you just see it bang off the upright and then they lose it completely they didn't have one from behind the goalpost for some reasons like every and they tried to show us all of them and they didn't have a shot of it anywhere so yeah, it wasn't until they showed us, tried to show us the replays they didn't have of the second doink that uh, that I realized that we had a second chance at, at that ball going through. I mean, if if it would have been one of those, oh, no, oh, yeah, situations had it gone our way. It bangs off the upright, hits the crossbar, and then falls in. I would have been heartbroken and then elated. That, that's with, the, with my initial reaction, that's how I would have been would have been like oh christ he missed it oh my god he made it that would have been me because i didn't see it i didn't see the second life and then watch it fall into the end zone uh kind of thing so no i would have i would have uh, missed that so so yeah so that was the season at least go ahead I say at least nbc had the the compilation of doinks lined up all ready to go to show <laughs> you all of the other times he'd done it this season <laughs> assholes anyway um <laughs> So, yeah, so that's the season. It's over. Uh, I think Matt Nagy's face on the sideline afterwards said it all. Like, he just, he was literally in disbelief, uh, sitting there with his mouth open, his arms crossed. Like, he was frozen in that moment. He was frozen. He could not believe the season ended or that the season ended that way. Maybe that's what his thought was. Like, this is how, this, this is how it ends? Like this? But, um, yeah. But... You know, to 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 back park you up a little bit. Not my favorite thing in the world to do, but um, we had plenty of chances, or there were opportunities, mistakes that were made in the game that could have prevented that from happening. Um, the three penalties that we had on Philly's touchdown drive, we gave them seventy percent of the yards that they gained to score that touchdown, with fifty-two yards and penalties on that and everyone kind of wants to talk about the 33 yarder on Prince of Mukamura. If it wasn't for Adrian Amos's, uh, you know, defenseless receiver penalty 
on third down, none of that happens. So it's more on Amos than it is on, on Amukamura as far as who made the bigger mistake. Obviously, Amukamura gave up more real estate, but it was Amos that gave the Eagles new life. Um, and then obviously the two-point play where um, the Bears would have had 17 points. And if either Philly, after they score the touchdown, either Philly's tying it to send it to overtime or they're trying to go for two and win. And if everything happens the same and we make that two-pointer, we win when we shut Philly down on that two-pointer. Or we are going to overtime or Cody Parkey misses a field goal that would have won it in regulation and we're going to overtime anyway. So, I mean, the Bears had plenty of chances in that game. And, you know, one of the running themes on a lot of the games the Bears have played in the second half of the year is whoever makes the fewest amount of stakes will most likely be the team that wins. And this was my big theme for the Rams game was that if the Bears make more mistakes than than the Rams, I have no doubt the Rams will win. If the Bears make fewer mistakes than the Rams, the Bears will win, and that's what happened. So that's what I was kind of thinking in this game what I like to call high-level football, which is what the Bears have been playing this year, thank God, um, when it comes down to it, the team who makes the fewest amount of stakes will most likely be the team that wins. And granted, Foles threw two interceptions, but we had those three penalties that extended the drive, the, the failure on two-point conversion, and the Cody Parkey missed field goal. That's five by my count. That's way more than two interceptions from Nick Foles, and that's why we lost the game. Yeah, my big takeaway from that game is just like you you can't score one touchdown offensively and expect to win playoff games. Right. You know what I mean? Like if if I told you entering that week that the Bears would hold Philly to 16 points, you're like, okay, Bears on to the second round. Absolutely. So I, yeah. I'm with you that – I mean Cody Parkey has to hit that kick. There's yes. no escaping Absolutely. that. There's no diverting that. There's no denying that. But at the same time, I mean – the Bears had so many opportunities. I mean, one more point from that two-point conversion or, you know, one of those two Nick Foles interceptions, you know, if the Bears turn that into a touchdown, it's a totally different game. Or they stop if they, they stop that touchdown on fourth down and it's a totally different game. I mean, there's so many plays throughout that whole thing yeah. where if one little thing had gone differently, it's the Bears playing the Saints. But instead, you know, it, it ends up Saints. falling on Cody Parkey's shoulders. But I, I do I do really feel like, as much as it seems like it's just Bears players defending their teammates, I mean they're right when they say that it was it, it's more than just Parkin. This yeah. was a team loss. It wasn't like you know this is a shootout and both teams are playing really well and the Bears are flying around and Trubisky's lighting them up for four quarters and the defense makes some big plays and they just body blows back and forth and they just need this this field goal, the, the one field goal to put them over the top and it's a miss. That one I think would be more of the you know put all the blame on Cody Parkey. But I I just felt like with this game. There's there's so much more than just the last field goal and yeah it was yeah I mean it was just tough yeah it's just the moment that everybody's going to remember about this game and 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 I spoke and and see how much you like my theory here I'm sure as a fan you'll enjoy it I envision that moment of us missing that field goal or Cordy Parkey missing that field goal being the opening scene that you'll see in August of 2020 summing up America's game, the 2019 Super Bowl champion, Chicago Bears. That's, the, that's where that documentary will start, will be that moment that we lose that game and how 2019 was redeeming ourselves from losing that game. Are, are you on board with that? Oh, absolutely. The, the, the producer, the, the television producer in me <laughs> yeah. says that's absolutely where you start. And it's, yeah. it's the, just like the double doink is the audio that just kind of like you, you like let that echo out a little bit and it's like, that's and then you cut to like the Today Show and and then you go from there. Ugh. Absolutely, 
You know what? Let's talk about that for a second because I don't know what he was trying to accomplish there. I don't understand what Cody Parkey was trying to do. I mean, nobody who is a Bear fan who has a brain cell firing in their brain considers Cody Parkey to be evil. At any, in any, We just think he's a lousy kicker. He did not have a good year. He missed 10 kicks, seven field goals, three extra points, and then that field goal uh, in the postseason. And granted, he outscored the rest of the team by himself kicking three field goals prior to that. But it's, it's like his appearance was more about, you know, it, or it just seemed like they're trying to frame him as a good person. And it's like, okay, well, that's fine. But nobody thinks Cody Parkey is a bad guy. We just think he's a bad kicker. That's and he's still a bad kicker even after this appearance where those Today Show that Today Show Love Fest uh, took place. So I don't know what it was he was trying to do there, or maybe he's trying to show the world that he's human and that he has feelings or or whatever. But he's a football player, so no one cares, you know. Yeah, I I don't know what he was hoping to accomplish. I mean, I, I don't know what I, I'm with you 100 percent that like going on the TV and defending yourself doesn't make you a better kicker. I mean, you still were at, I think, like 76% on the season. Like, it wasn't even just about one kick. This wasn't Adam Vinatieri missing a game-winning field goal in the playoffs. This was a season worth of misses, and what was it? Was it four or five other goalposts that he hit during the year? Uh, thanks to the one that he hit in Minnesota, that made five. So six yeah, times so, I mean, overall. It, but, yeah. This was not about one missed field goal. This was about six goalposts hit and however many missed field goals he had throughout the year year i mean seven missed field goals through the year and three missed extra points i, I that's I, I didn't i didn't get it i did seem like the kind of idea that an agent pitches to a player for like some pr that you know the player's just like sure whatever and doesn't quite realize that it i mean I, i'm not trying i mean i don't want to th- completely throw him under the bus and rail him for it i mean he didn't do anything wrong it just felt yeah. kind of weird and misguided and not really uh doing any good for himself yeah like i just i just didn't see the point of what he was trying to do i mean i i you know because i watched the interview and it was more about them praising him for for stepping up and 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 answering the questions and facing the music and i admire him for that as well i mean that guy when they said they opened up the locker room to the press cody parkey was sitting at his locker waiting so kudos to him for facing the music like that you know again it it, it, i'm not questioning the integrity of the man i'm not questioning that he's a bad person or anything like that he's a kicker who's paid millions to do the job and millions to the point where it's going to make the bears it's going to make it very difficult for the bears to move on if that's what they decide to do and it puts us in a bad position because we most likely at the very least have to sign a kicker to compete with in training camp to to see if he really wants to, to see if he deserves to keep the job because I don't think there's any way that, that Ryan Pace is too smart to just flat out cut him right now. So he's going to be there. He's going to be in training camp at the very least. And I think he's going to have to kick for his job in the preseason, but I, I he's coming back. I know, I know nobody wants to hear that right now, but that's the, the reality of it. I just didn't see the point of the, mm-hmm. of the appearance. I thought it was counterproductive to what I felt they were trying to do because they were trying to frame. He's God fearing. He, you know, he thanks Jesus Christ and, and all the rest of that stuff, and and you know, and kudos to him for for that because it just seems to be uncool to praise God these days. I don't understand that. I mean, I'm not a religious person. I do believe in God, but I'm not a religious person. So it always kind of makes me feel uncomfortable when somebody does that. It's like, dude, that's that's between you and God. That's your relationship, you know, and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, I don't want to talk about that, but you know what I'm saying. They they're trying to frame him as this great person. Like I don't know, maybe trying to make a more sympathetic character so people will leave him alone. I I don't know. I just felt like the the whole Today Show thing was 
was kind of pointless when after the actual appearance itself. I was interested to see what it was going to be, and then when I saw what it was, I was like, what was the point of that? And I think the part that bothered me the most was actually like NBC themselves saying, this is Cody Parkey's first public interview since missing the field goal. And no, he, he sat it's in the not. locker room. And, and that, it was so impressive that he sat in the locker room and took those questions because yeah. how many players, I mean, not even kickers, but like how many quarterbacks, you know, just kind of disregard the media after they lose a big game. And how many players just don't have the, the character to sit in and answer the hard questions and take the blame the way he did. So like it almost made Cody Parkey look, look worse when they made it seem like he was hiding until this point to to face the music like they should have given him more credit to be like hey you know you you sat there and you took this like like a man you know yeah i think i think you're right because i mean i think they did mention and or the the male anchor that was sitting in on the interview did mention that he 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 faced like one of the reasons that he had the integrity because he did face the media right after the game but the fact they kept billing this as his first public appearance was Kind of missing the mark there. So, <laughs> just going to take a quick break from our conversation with Lauren Cox. We'll be back in just a few minutes with the um, the Larrys with the Bears Talk Underground Awards for 2018. And uh, before I get to that, the the Bears had their big year in review press conference on Monday. It took place after Lauren and I spoke. We talked on Sunday. Uh, afternoon during the um, Patriots Chargers massacre and um, you know so we had this conversation before uh, the press conference took place and some interesting things uh, were mentioned uh, during the uh, during the press conference number one uh, Cody Parkey was one of the first things that they did talk about and I thought this was a, a natural place for us to stop and for me to start talking about the the press conference because you know, you know, Lauren and I, we did talk uh, about Parky just now, and we did. You did hear me say again that I expect him to be back. I definitely expect there to be a, 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 at least a, a training camp leg for for competition, make him earn the job uh, in 2019 instead of just handing it to him uh, in 2018. Maybe it will it will you know stoke the fire in him, and he'll be a, a better kicker for it, and and and, and what have you. But uh, after listening to, to Ryan Pace and, and Matt Nagy talk, more specifically Matt Nagy, uh, talk about the Cody Parkey situation, this might already be a done deal. So, I mean, it, it also may have sparked why he went on the Today Show in the first place because he had, um, is it, in Matt Nagy talked about in the press conference about how he had exit interviews with every single player on the roster from practice squad all the way up to, you know, all pros like Khalil Mack, Akeem Hicks and, and what have you, everybody had to sit down and have a face to face with the, with the man himself, uh, coach Matt Nagy and, and Cody Parkey was in there. I, I have a sinking suspicion that maybe they already told him he wasn't coming back. And maybe that's why he went on the today show to try to put it out there that he's a good player or that he's a good guy you know, I'm I'm worth taking a chance on blah, 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 blah. Maybe that's a conspiracy theory uh, of mine. Just after hearing the press conference, it's one of those things I was thinking about. And, you know, first of all, uh, Ryan Pace definitely said there will be competition. We're not happy. We need more of an emphasis we, with the with the, the schedule that we have, the schedule we have coming with the with the you know with the growing offense and stuff those points are critical and you couldn't depend 
uh, on Cody. You know, he was our kicker, so we had to put him out there at the end of the game, and he let us down, and he didn't perform, and performance is the key. Basically, and, and that's something that Ryan Pace reiterated. He said it a couple of times. It's all about performance, basically saying, screw the cap hit. We'll, t- we'll take the dead money and, 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 and send him off on his way. We need somebody that we can rely on to put the ball between the uprights instead of hitting the goddamn uprights. So um, I would not rule it out. I, I definitely thought it was not going to happen before just because Ryan Pace is a very practical guy, and I, I thought that he would just be like, all right, so we'll just go ahead and um, let we'll, we'll bring in some competition. And if Cody Parkey can't earn the job in training camp, then – we, d- we gave him every single opportunity that we could. They didn't bring in any competition uh, during the season when he was having the yips or that, that horrible game that he had against Detroit. Didn't bring anybody in throughout the season, even though it looked like maybe that could have been helpful. We put all of our faith and confidence in him, and he let us down. So if, if I thought that would be the more practical thing to do. We bring in competition, and if he loses the job in training camp, we literally did everything that we could. We literally did it all. But I think what the the um, what really kind of ended things, if it is in fact over, was his appearance on the Today Show. I mean, you heard Lauren and I talking about it like we didn't really see the point of it all. Like, you know, nobody, even those that those of us who hate Cody Parkey for for missing the kick, for getting it tipped or blocked or whatever. It's because of him that we're not in the postseason. And in all uh, fairness to Cody, there were plenty of opportunities for the Bears not to be in that position. But that's how those were the chain of events. That's what it came down to. And that's why we gave him 15 million dollars to, you know, nine million guaranteed over four seasons to be the guy that bails us out. Should we find ourselves in that position? And there were a couple of instances this year. As a matter of fact, if he makes that kick in Miami. We finished 13 and three and we're by we're we're on we're waiting for our. We're waiting for our wild card opponent to make it to the divisional round. I mean, think about that. If he makes that kick in Miami, we win in overtime, and the rest of the season unfolds the way that it did. did. We're 13-3, and which means we tied with the Rams, which means we have the tiebreaker over the Rams. The Rams play wild card weekend, and we don't. So, I mean, if you want to get into that whole ball of of wax, then, yeah, let let that drive you crazy. But um, when Matt Nagy was asked about – the Today Show appearance, his uh, comments were very uh, interesting. You definitely got the vibe that they were not happy uh, about Cody going on to the uh, Today Show. I don't, I don't get the sense at all that he got the okay from the Bears to go on the Today Show, and I think that was very apparent by Matt Nagy's response when uh, Nagy kind of said, you know, it basically it's a team uh, mantra, if you will. It's not me, it's we. And he felt he said that going on the Today Show was not a we thing, which means it was all about Cody. It was not about the team. And Matt Nagy is not a fan. So this thing might already be over. It might already be done. And Cody Parkey either. I think either Cody Parkey knew he was already cut when he went to the Today Show. So he just wanted to get his name out there. Maybe somebody will take a chance on him kind of thing or. It was it was okay. The Bears were reluctantly going to bring him back because of the contract we gave him last offseason, and the Today Show was the final straw. So if the Bears just go ahead and cut Cody Parkey, the Today Show appearance will be why. It definitely will uh, be why. Another interesting topic of discussion was Kareem Hunt. 
of course, Matt Nagy has ties to Kareem. Uh, Kareem was a rookie last year in 2017, led the league in rushing when Matt Nagy was with the Kansas City Chiefs. So he knows Kareem Hunt. And they asked him, what about the possibility of bringing him back? Matt Nagy says, you know, in general terms, I believe in giving guys a second chance. Um, you know, I, I, as, uh, as Kareem, as a person, I know him. He's a good guy, so on and so forth. Uh, Ryan Pace, basically, I don't want to say he evaded the question. He gave a, a you know, a um, reasonable answer, which is we're not even close to being there. Yet we're actually trying to rebuild our coaching staff now that Vic Fangio uh, is gone. Ed Donatel ended up going with him as the defensive coordinator to the Broncos. So we're looking to refill a majority of our defensive uh, staff right now. We, we added Chuck Pagano, which happened over the weekend, um, and uh, he's our new defensive coordinator. He'll be taking over uh, for Vic Fangio because Todd Bowles decided to go with the Buccaneers uh, instead of the uh, Bears. I got a feeling that's going to be a, that's going to be a mistake. I wouldn't have done that if I was him. I would not have done that if I was him. But we'll see if it works out uh, for him uh, in in Tampa with uh, with Bruce Arians, who I'm a huge fan of. But um, when when talking about uh, uh, Kareem Hunt, they they didn't really um, talk much about the actual incident itself. They talk more about what he has to do. You know, he hasn't officially been suspended by the NFL. Yet he's on the commissioner's um, suspended list or something, exempted list or whatever. But, um, you know, he hasn't officially been suspended yet, so he hasn't served a suspension at this point. And, and what his fate is is still yet to be uh, determined. And, and the reporters were asking, you know, do you think he deserves a second chance? Would you sign him? I would. Honestly, I would. Um, I've seen the incident. Um, it's indefensible. But at the same time, it's not what people are making it sound to be. And I'm not defending Kareem Hunt at all. He had plenty of chances to get himself out of that situation. It was not a Ray Rice situation where it was him and his wife in that elevator. He made all the decision. Everything was on him or anything like that. Kareem Hunt was actually, there was actually at least one or two people there with him trying to keep him away from her. And, you know, she wasn't making things any easier because she was constantly getting in his face. Not that that means that he should have done what he did. He shouldn't have. He should have just walked away. But he had people there trying to stop him. And even though she wasn't letting it go or she was pissed off, too, that happens. It absolutely happens. It doesn't mean that she needs to get you know, pushed to the ground and, and all the rest of that stuff. It, it, um, it was an ugly incident. It was terrible. It shouldn't have happened. Kareem Hunt deserves to be punished. But I also think that he should have a chance to play in the league again with the Bears or not. He's a young guy. He made a stupid mistake. It's, it's not like the Ray Rice situation. It's not. Hey, he, he beat the hell out of it. I mean, he really punched the girl. What happened with his wife, I should say. What happened with Kareem Hunt is that basically he ran her over. He knocked her down. And then when she was trying to get up, it, and people say he kicked her. Um, I, when I was watching it, I, he basically, he, he definitely used his foot. He hit her on the side of the, it, it wasn't, it wasn't like he was trying to, uh, you know, kick a field goal into her guts or anything like that. When she was trying to get up, he basically pushed her over with his foot. At least that's the way that I remember it when I, when I saw it, it's like, so that's the kick that everybody keeps talking about. You know, again, it should not have happened. Kareem Hunt definitely deserves to be punished. 
You know, he, he definitely deserves to be face some kind of suspension, a fine, whatever the NFL uh, has in store for him. He deserves he has coming. He deserved to get cut and lose his job for what he did, especially since it was on the Chiefs radar because this happened in February. So this is almost a full year ago that this happened. This happened a full year ago, and he lied to the Chiefs about what happened. Then when the video resurfaced, he had to admit to his lie, and the Chiefs let him go. Kudos to the Chiefs for doing that. And kudos to any team that would have uh, done that. And that's exactly what should have happened. Everything that is happening to Kareem Hunt should have happened. It was an avoidable situation. He had somebody there trying to stop him. Cooler heads, unfortunately, did not prevail in this situation. And what happened, happened. So, you know, it's, it's not the girl's fault because she wouldn't let it go because Kareem still shouldn't have hit her. He shouldn't have knocked her down. He shouldn't have pushed her over. He shouldn't have kicked her or, or whatever. It should not have happened. So I'm not defending Kareem Hunt or his actions. I'm saying that it's, it's terrible what he did, but it shouldn't ruin his entire career. There are levels to this stuff, and I don't think Kareem Hunt is in the irredeemable level as far as him not having another chance to play football again. And I'm, honestly, I am not saying that because even when that happened, I thought that when I was sitting there looking at the video uh, and all that, I saw his, his interview on, on, what was it? Was it Fox or ESPN? One of the two. I saw the interview that he did talking about what happened uh, and all that kind of stuff. He knows he screwed up. He, he knows he screwed up. He knows he shouldn't have lied to the Chiefs about it. And I think any of us would have probably done the same thing to try to make it as, as small a situation as humanly possible. That's what he did. He got caught. And now he's going to pay for it. He's going to pay for it now. So, you know, it's It's unfortunate. And, uh, you know, like I said, I was like I was trying to say is like it, it even if it and I'm not just saying that because it looks like the Bears might have a, the inside track on being able to to sign him, uh, even if that wasn't the case, which it wasn't when this actually happened was I, was what I was trying to say. When I first saw the, the video and everything, I never dreamed for a second the Bears would sign him or that he'd be a possibility or that Ryan Pace would even entertain the idea, considering what happened with Ray McDonald when he first joined uh, the Bears uh, and such. So Ryan Pay says it's a case-to-case thing. So we'll have to see how it all unfolds. Kareem still has to pay the piper with the NFL and a suspension before any of that gets discussed. But the possibility is there. We do have somewhat of a, I don't, I don't want to say an inside track, but we've got a, 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 a dog in the fight basically because of uh, Nagy's former relationship with Kareem Hunt and, and coaching him uh, in Kansas City. Uh, real quick, before we get back to the awards, uh, the uh, Anthony Miller is the only person, uh, the only guy on the team that will be having any significant off-season surgery. Uh, he'll be getting that shoulder repaired, so it'll stop popping out on him. There's no surprise there. I told you guys that uh, you know a week or two ago. Um, the Leonard Floyd, I, um, off the top of my head, I can't remember if Lauren and I did talk about this already, if we're going to talk about it. I think we already did talk about uh, Leonard Floyd and maybe we talk about it in the awards but um, I think you know you guys heard me talk about it during the season uh, with Leonard Floyd and and when the trade deadline was coming up and not being happy with Floyd and his contributions uh, to the team he did not the the Khalil Mack trade was supposed to turn Leonard Floyd into all that he could be and it didn't happen however after the trade deadline he actually the second half of the season he was very productive um, he didn't rack up the amount of sacks, even though he played a full 16-game season uh, this year. 
Uh, he only had four sacks, but the impact that he had throughout the second half of the year was a marked improvement. He was definitely more of the disruptor that he that we drafted him to be. Hopefully next year uh, he'll be able to come back and, and, and be that that monster on the other side to, to truly make give us a, a truly uh, a formidable uh, outside pass rush with him and Khalil Mack uh, coming from the outside. Uh, we'll have to wait and see. But, it, it, you know, I was in, in heavy doubt about whether or not the Bears should pick up that, uh, that fifth-year option they have to make a decision on during this offseason. Ryan Pace went out, went out and just said, yeah, we, we definitely plan uh, on doing that because he thinks the arrow is still pointing up uh, on, on Leonard Floyd. And, and now that he's not the center of attention in the pass rush, he does have the, the great potential to keep growing uh, as a pass rusher. So they're going to go ahead and pull the trigger on that that fifth-year option, or as of the press conference on Monday, Ryan Pace says that that is definitely uh, going to happen. Um, as far as why the Bears went with Chuck Pagano, uh, Matt Nagy said it just felt like a great fit. Uh, he's an aggressive-minded uh, defensive coach who is also a great person, and, and he emphasized that uh, when he uh, was talking about Chuck. He's a well-liked, well-respected coach among the league, therefore – you know, he's in a position for the players to buy what he's selling because replacing Vic Fangio is going to be a daunting task. The players love Vic Fangio. So getting this unit to play for Pagano the same way that he did for Vic, you got to have a guy that, uh, you know, you definitely couldn't have a Greg Williams kind of who's a very volatile, uh, you know, guy that uh, you either love or hate him kind of thing. Chuck Pagano uh, had some good success in 2011 when he was defensive coordinator of the Ravens when he had Ray Lewis and Terrell Suggs and Haladi Nada and everything like that at his disposal. He had one of the top units in football uh, in, in 2011. And um, so he's got, uh, he's got talent at his disposal. He's got nine of 11 starters definitely coming back uh, in 2019, including Khalil Mack and Akeem Hicks and Eddie Goldman, Eddie Jackson, uh, Kyle Fuller, Prince of Mukamura. I mean, the list goes on. For the talent, I mean, Roquan and Danny Trevathan are all, all coming back. And it's like everybody but the two guys that are free agents this year, uh, Adrian Amos and like Bryce Callahan and, and Aaron Lynch, everybody's coming back and they're all signed through like 2020. So he gets at least two years with everybody on that list. So it's uh, it's an amazing situation and, and probably the most coveted job in football outside of any of the head coaching uh, positions. Who wouldn't want to be defensive coordinator of the Bears? Besides Todd Bowles, of course. I, I definitely think he's going to regret that. Picking Tampa Bay and what they've got over what the Bears already have. Huge mistake. Huge mistake. But um, anyway, that's, uh, that's pretty much all I have uh, from the presser. Uh, as Ryan Pace said at the beginning of it, a, a much easier press conference to have. Uh, talking about tweaking the roster and, and adding with what they have in salary cap space and draft capital uh, this season. It's going to be uh, interesting, but a much easier year to sum up. Uh, they're definitely happy and proud of the season they had, but they're not satisfied. They definitely know that they did not do all that they had the potential to do, and hopefully it will be the fuel that, fi- you know, the, the fuel that fires 2019, so, or the fuel that feeds the fire in 2019. So um, I believe that it will as well. So that's all with the press conference for Nagy and uh, Ryan Pace. We'll go ahead and get to our awards with myself and Lauren Cox with the Bear Underground Awards, a.k.a. 
the Larrys. <laughs> Much like we did uh, when you had me on the show on the on Locked on Bears. Uh, it's been a while since I've been on the show, by the way. Just kind of putting that out there. Anyway, um, <laughs> uh, you had me on for the first quarter awards during the during the uh, bye week, so I thought maybe you could, you know, do some awards with me. And um, you know, I, I'm I'm kind of torn on what I call them. It's it's Bears Talk Underground. It's BTU. So I was I was like, I'm not calling my awards the booties. That's not going to happen. Um, <laughs> I'm not calling them the undies or anything. How about we just call them the Larrys? You know how the the, the Academy Larrys. Awards are the Oscars. We'll we'll call these the Larrys. So we're we're the the first annual Larry Awards. And um, I don't think we have to debate on who Coach of the Year or Defensive MVP is uh, in this case. Um, the 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 job that Nagy did was far beyond I think any that any of us could have expected. Yeah. You know, I think the, the the impact that we expected him to have was in X's and O's, not with the way that he really just commanded this team and was a super amazing leader of men this year. Like he has made with with the the, the club dub and the way that he's just connected with the players, it's unfortunate the Bears don't have more salary cap space because Chicago has become a top flight free de- free agent destination now because you can't oversell how much it how much fun those guys had playing for him this year. Oh, one hundred percent. And I think you see that in you know players expressing so much interest in coming back. Not that they have a ton of guys hitting the market, but Bobby Massey said he wants to be back. Josh Bellamy has said he wants to be back. I think Adrian Amos was a little bit more muted about it, but expressed interest in coming back. I mean, these guys loved it here. They loved the success they have. Club Dub, I think, is probably the biggest testament to just what the culture and just what Matt Nagy has been able to establish here. Right. So definitely gets the Larry for coach of the year. Vic Fangio, a close second, but Club Dub and, you know, Matt Nagy is staying, so that automatically takes Fangio out. So God bless him. I hope that he does well uh, in Denver. He's waited a long time. For this opportunity, it's a bittersweet thing because you're happy for the man, you're sad for your team, and I hope that whenever we play Denver, we bury them into the ground just just because. But uh, <laughs> you know, so defensive MVP, I don't think anything could be discounted from Khalil Mack. I know there could be arguments made for Akeem Hicks or Eddie Jackson, maybe even Kyle Fuller if you want to push it a little bit. But I, I think it's it's Khalil Mack head and clear head and shoulders above the rest. Yeah, by by far, mo- especially the term "valuable," the most yes. valuable. If they hadn't had him this season, they could get a, they could they got by without Eddie Jackson, and they got by without Kyle Fuller. They couldn't get by without Khalil Mack. Yeah, the impact he had was was unreal. I mean, and talk about the most impressive out of this world debut for a bear ever for him, literally to come off the street eight days before and do what he did in the first half of that Packer game. You know, was there anybody any man on earth not man crushing on Khalil Mack after the first half? Uh, of that game it was just ridiculous uh what he did uh that night so now we move on to some of the awards that have um i think this was going to be the most highly debated one maybe who is the offensive mvp this year i mean because you can make arguments for about half a dozen players and i think that's one of my favorite things about our offense is the fact that you know we paid Allen robinson number one receiver money he didn't even have the most catches on team uh, this year I think he had the most yards but not the most catches he didn't even have the most touchdown passes Anthony Miller did and you know that was the other thing that was so that I loved and kind of hated about our offense all at the same time was I love the fact that if you try to shut down Allen Robinson then you have to contend with Miller and Gabriel and Burton you take Burton out of the game then somebody else is gonna you know you it, it, 
we spread the ball around enough that there wasn't just one guy, like in the Jay Cutler days when we've got Brandon Marshall. If you shut down Brandon Marshall, pretty good chance you shut down our offense as far as our passing game uh, was concerned. With this, if you took one person out of the game, it just meant that you had four or five other guys that could step up in his spot, which makes declaring an offensive MVP most difficult because I didn't even write one down when I was writing these out yesterday. Yeah, it's the kind of case where, like, there's not there's you're, you're totally right. There's no clear favorite. And, you know, we may list two different guys and we may both have equally strong cases. And that's there's no I mean, it, it, neither one of us can really leave feeling like, OK, well, we were right. You know, I don't yeah. I don't feel like there's necessarily one guy that's head and shoulders above the rest. But the guy I would go with is Tariq Cohen. Yeah, and I, I really that's... feel like the, the offense kind of lived and died by him. And I know kind of as the end of the season came along, his production dropped off pretty good over about the last <laughs> four or five games of the year but the way he was able to impact this offense that when he touched the ball there was so just this threat of a home run and and certainly quite a bit of home runs along the way ends up uh finishing second behind howard in total touches and first in yards from scrimmage first in catches and uh up there with i think second in total touchdowns howard had nine cohen had three rushing and and five receiving uh, the only downside to cohen's season was seven fumbles that were credited to him and and that's obviously could have been pretty impactful had it gone a little bit worse but I, I really felt like this was like the Tariq Cohen was the one guy that like week to week he seemed to be able to come up with at least one play at least one first down even if it wasn't a 25 yard explosive play they were just he was the kind of the go-to guy for Mitchell Trubisky more often than not and he to me made the biggest impact on this offense funny as it is I think I definitely have to agree with you when I was trying to think of who it might be I, I Cohen was the, the one that stuck out and he only got four touches in the in the Philadelphia game there was a lot of scrutiny about whether why that happened if if Philly was just that good at taking him out or or what have you but I know that that, that along with every other bear fan out there when that final kickoff was coming and we all saw that it was going to be short and Cohen was back there the thought in my head as that bell, fell short of the goal line was that's a mistake it's like you 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 gave Tariq Cohen an opportunity to run it back good luck with that and he ended up setting us up to to make it much easier for us to drive down the field we didn't have to get a ton of yards and everything to set up the the field goal opportunity and you know like you said that's why I had trouble just say, flat out saying you know punching the top of the table boom this is the offensive MVP because after the Giants game, statistically, he wasn't really – he was here nor there, kind of. You know, he had the touchdown play against the uh, the Packers uh, in that game where, you know, that made that diving touch the pylon with the football uh, type of thing. But for the most part, you know, he scored a touchdown against the Vikings, but he didn't take over a game like he did in that Giants game in those last uh, four games of the season. Same thing with Robinson. Had an amazing game against Philadelphia, was, you know, was out against Minnesota, had the one catch against the – the 49ers and, and throughout the year kind of here missed a couple of games, you know, that kind of thing. Same thing with, with even like Jordan Howard, if you wanted to push for him, but you know, he really came on late, but he was virtually non-existent for the majority of the season for one reason or another. Uh, one theory that I've heard was that Nagy was saving him for the playoff run. It, it almost looked like that worked out, but you know, what are you going to do? So, but I think in the end, I do have to agree with you that Tariq Cohen is the guy. So then we go to O-Lineman of the Year, and I was going to name these after Bears players, and then I ran into tight end of the year. and I'm, Or actually, it wasn't tight end. It was linebacker of the year. And I was like, okay, well, that we'll, we could spend an hour just figuring out who we should name the damn award after. So I'm just going to go with 
<laughs> position play, offensive lineman uh, of the year. And, um, you know, so we have Massey, um, uh, Kyle Long, obviously, Cody Whitehair, James Daniels, um, and um, probably your guy, Charles Leno. Is that who you're going to go with? I've been going back and forth a little bit because I think Bobby Massey deserves a lot of credit for mm-hmm. the second half of the season he put together there. But I, I can't quite – it's just there's just something about Bobby Massey that just keeps me. That for some reason the mistakes just feel still too strong and too highlighted in my mind. Even with probably over the course of a game, was a lot better this year than he has in years past. But I would actually go with Cody Whitehair. That I thought okay. he really bounced back to have a season much like we saw during his rookie year. And he was such a he became such of a, li- a liability last year when he was moved around a lot and yeah. asked to do a little bit too much. And he wasn't a totally, totally dominant center, but I thought he really stepped it up and was kind of that consistent driving force in the middle. And I I thought Leno was a little bit more up and down this year and particularly down the stretch the last couple games. And maybe there's some recency bias for me there that that I'll admit to, but just seems like he didn't end on a very strong note and that might be sticking in my mind a little bit more, whereas I thought Cody Whitehair was more consistent throughout the season and just, you know, I think he was the only offensive lineman that didn't give up a sack by pro football focuses numbers. I think James Daniels might not have either, but he had some of his own mistakes along the way. So I I would go with Cody Whitehair. I think he was the only player on the entire Bears team that played 100% of the offensive snaps this year. Wow, yeah. And that's actually who I was going to go with too because you know I'm not a huge fan of Charles Leno. Um I even even before like I I still can't I I know that he's playing well I know that he's uh, you know definitely outplaying his draft stock that's for sure he was a seventh round draft pick he's not playing like one um, I just don't see him being like the left tackle of the future good but can't argue with the fact that the guy's been healthy he's been out there and for the most part we're keeping Mitch clean and upright uh, in those games I do have to go to Co- with Cody White here and what sold me on that was the Rams game and how integral he was in helping James Daniels uh, eliminate Aaron Donald from that game. Aaron Donald was not a factor whatsoever in that Bears game. I think he made one tackle behind the line of scrimmage in that game. Otherwise, we never heard from from Aaron Donald in that game. And for him to be able to do that, to help out Witzman, who was the right guard in that, in that game against the Rams, and, and really help out the rookie James Daniel, who he lined up against the most, and, and eliminate him from the game plan and you know, helped helped eliminate how or excuse me, uh, Donald from the game plan and Jordan Howard rushes for a hundred yards in that game and, and all that kind of stuff. It that's what kind of sold me on on Cody Whitehair. So we're two for two on those uh, awards. So offensive lineman of the year, Cody Whitehair. Not very often do you hear a center getting that award, by the way. But gonna go with it this time. Do we need to go over running back of the year? He's also the offensive MVP. Was is that who yeah. you would vote for? Okay, so we'll skip that one. We'll disagree uh, eventually. Yes, I'm sure. Maybe on this one, pass catcher of the year. So tight ends, wide receivers. Maybe if you want to throw in Cohen, so he's eligible for a third award. But pass catcher of the year, where would you lean on that one? Again, I, I'm trying to not have the recency bias, but there's something about Allen Robinson that you know when he's been healthy this year, he has been kind of a little bit. You know, Mitch's go-to in in terms of a little bit more downfield. Like, like Tariq Cohen, to me, felt like the lifeblood of this offense right. and the engine that drove it. But in terms of, you know, a pass catcher that can come up in these clutch situations and win those difficult contested catches downfield and pick up that third and long. That You know, Cohen was never really that, that third and long kind of guy. He was the pickup seven on first and ten or, you know, convert that third and short kind of play. But I, I don't know. There's something about Allen Robinson's ability to kind of take over a couple games here and there and be that – you know that consistent underneath and and add some 
deep threats on top of it that just left me feeling like he was the most consistent at wide receiver and and I, you know, I, I don't, I don't quite put Trey Burton as, as enough of a production to be up there in this conversation. So to me, it's Allen Robinson. Damn it! Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna have to go with that one as well. For me, it was the 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 49ers game. I mean, granted, the Philly game was outstanding. You know, 10, 11 catches, 140 something yards, set a franchise record, and and all the rest of that. Not to mention the play that he made on the on the touchdown. Um, but it was that that 49ers game. It, it obviously was tainted at the end because of. The, the way that he carried the football, that got it knocked out, that gave the 49ers life there at the end of the, the game. He gets the first down, that would have sealed the game, and instead he's carrying the football way away from his body and gets it poked away, and there your next thing, the 49ers are you know, possibly going to come down and try to win the game. But you know every catch, every third down that the Bears did convert, that was Mitch's favorite target for that game. And, and you know the, the game that he had against Detroit, his first game back from the – from the two weeks off with the groin injury, uh, the catches that he made week one against the the Packers, just you know to get our offense going there in the very beginning, and you know like we talked about, it's it was tough to pick an offensive MVP because the ball was spread around so much, and Mitch was up and down with his his play this year and uh, and and whatnot. But if it came to the pass catchers and who you, whose ball who do, whose hands do you want the ball in as far as who you want Mitch targeting? I would agree that I'd have to go with Allen Robinson on that one. So this is getting boring, huh? Um, <laughs> <laughs> defensive lineman uh, award. Obviously, we got some. And I think this is actually a bit more close than, than most people would like to argue. I'm, I'm sure that we're both going to choose Akeem Hicks. But Eddie Goldman's got to be a close second at the very least in this conversation. Yeah, and I mean, heck, give Bilal Nichols a lot of credit yes, for the way absolutely. he just yeah. exceeded every expectation in every way, shape, and form. I mean, obviously not playing at Hicks and Goldman level, but if you can take a, a fifth-round pick like that and get that level of production, by all means, throw yeah, him I in mean, there. But, yeah, I mean, it's got to be a key Hicks, as great as Eddie Goldman was. No, no one – Goldman wasn't able to completely take over and, and change games the way Hicks did, but even though he was one of the most solid young nose tackles in the NFL. Yeah, Eddie Goldman's one of my favorite guys on the team and doesn't get talked about. Uh, enough hopefully that will change uh, at some point uh, for him I don't know how much he wants the spotlight but he deserves more than he's he's getting but you know Akeem Hicks is definitely the uh, the defensive lineman of the year and speaking of Bilal Nichols when we got together for those first quarter awards uh, on your show Bilal Nichols was my rookie of the year uh, at that point you know or the rookie of the first quarter or, or or what have you because even early on in the season he'd already cracked the starting lineup by the time we had that conversation, and then Roquan was still kind of feeling his way around uh, the defense at that point. So, I mean, we'll I think yeah, I've got a rookie of the year category. So we'll talk about that uh, here in in a, in a minute here. And um, I think this is probably going to be the toughest category. Uh, I mean, it it has an obvious answer to it, but at least it's a conversation as to who the top linebacker is. Now, in a three four, that includes our pass rushers in Akeem or excuse me. Uh, Mac Khalil Mack and Leonard Floyd and and obviously the the guys in the middle and Trevathan and, and Roquan. I mean, I think it's going to go to Khalil, but it's at least a conversation to make for Trevathan uh, being in there. Roquan, you know, had a solid year, led the team in tackles uh, and everything. And then you know, at in the middle of the season, I was talking about uh, you know the, maybe the Bears should trade Leonard Floyd, see if we can get something for him because I don't think that with the way that he's played, they're going to pick up his fifth year option. Then the second year of the season happened. 
he he started to to add on the sacks and add on impact which is what we were kind of hoping would happen from week one we finally started getting it towards the end of the season and now i'm not sure what the bears are going to do with that fifth year option on floyd uh, he still finishes the year now this is the only year he played 16 games right and still had a career low four sacks right i mean that it, it felt like more i, I agree but I, I was expect. I think a lot of people were expecting that when you add Khalil Mack, it's going to make Floyd that much better. That right. he should be getting to the quarterback more because he's going to have so many more one-on-one pass rushing opportunities. And for whatever reason, he wasn't able to do it. So I, at this point, I wouldn't. I'm not sure I'd pick up Leonard Floyd's fifth-year option. I think he still, for me, has a lot to prove. And I think linebacker of the year, for me, is. Still pretty clearly Khalil Mack. I think Trevathan and Roquan played solid, but they weren't the, that Pro Bowl game-changing mm-hmm. linebacker quite this year. They were high-end starting quality inside linebackers, but not that that next level of you know dominant takeover-a-game type players. Yeah, so I'm uh, agreeing with you uh, there. I mean, Trevathan was fantastic. Also a guy that played 16 games. And, uh, you know, I think the MVP of the team, I think you and I both had this conversation on your show as well the mvp of the team has to be that strength and conditioning staff the 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 training staff and and, you know obviously the luck adds into it uh as well because that's the one thing the bears have not had uh in the injury department prior to this season but whatever those guys are doing has been golden this year like i don't know maybe if they, they 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 got the team into into yoga so we, we're not having so many so i don't know you know because it's as weird as it seems to sounds to, to have football players doing yoga that's a big part of how they train uh these days or for for a lot of guys anyway but you know having the flexibility and the strength it helps those soft tissue injuries go down we didn't have a lot of that we we had the the groin injury for Allen robinson for a bit and then the mysterious one that that cost us trey burton for the philly game and there's a lot of obviously conspiracy theories about that but still you know, we didn't have a lot of, you know, hamstring pulls or this or that, you know, and if it was, maybe it kept the guy to practice for a day or two, but it didn't cost him the game uh, uh, kind of thing. So to jump ahead, you know, to that discussion, you know, obviously Khalil Max in that conversation, maybe Akeem Hicks, Tariq Cohen, you know, our previous award winners and stuff. But for me, MVP has got to be that training staff that kept everyone healthy. So we put our best team on the field every single week. Yeah, I, I think that's. It's so underrated in the sense that, like, when you think about Team MVP, is that really the most valuable? But I, I think we take for granted how valuable it is to have those players on the field every week, every Sunday. That even though Allen Robinson missed a couple games and Khalil Mack missed uh, – did he miss more than just the Patriots? I think he missed a couple games in there as well. That It was, it was two, I think, Patriots and Bills after that. You look at just, like, the, the total number of players that showed up on the injury report all season is close to half what we saw it last year under John Fox and in previous yeah. years in this regime that even guys who had had injury issues in the past in their career, Prince of Mukamara, you know, only misses one game this year. I mean, you know, guys like, uh, I'm just struggling to think off the top of my head, but Bryce Callahan doesn't quite fit the mold, but they, they've had guys that have had injury history in the past and, and seem to do a better job of staying healthy this year. And when they did miss time, it was less time than in previous years. Just for, for whatever reason, whether it was the yoga, whether it was more smoothies, I don't know what it was. It's club dub, <laughs> stretching out after games with their dancing. I don't know what it is, but I'm with you 100% that the health of this team was so critical 
impactful to the success that they had and that if, if they had started missing guys on the offensive line or the defensive line, I mean, there, there were some positions where there was questionable depth once you got past the top guy or two. So it, it really went a long way, I think. Yeah, and I think I had uh, two other awards that we'll get to real quick. Um, top defensive back of the year. You know, obviously we had two pro bowlers uh, in that group and a guy that we missed the last three games, uh, you know, the San Francisco and Minnesota and then the playoff game, even though he was active, it basically boiled down to he didn't think he could be as effective as he needed to be, so he didn't play. And Eddie Jackson, Kyle Fuller, doubles down on the year that he had uh, last season. You know, I I was heavily against the Bears signing him to a long-term deal coming into the year, thinking that – Me too. Um, you know, he he played he played out he played lights out in his contract year. Lots of guys do that. Then they get paid and disappear into the payroll, basically. So it's like give him a, give him his money, make him a franchise player, sign him to that fifteen million dollars, and make him earn a contract. And it worked out the way it did. And God bless him, he played for the money. I mean, he's he's out there. He's a Pro Bowler. He made it this time. So I mean. Impact it probably goes to Eddie Jackson, but as far as you know, the, an argument definitely needs to be made for Kyle Fuller as well. Yeah, it's a tough argument because obviously Fuller has more interceptions and all that, but just like, one. But yeah, he does. Yeah, but like the way Vic Fangio utilized Kyle Fuller, a lot of times it, you know, he would it, you start looking at some of the numbers and stuff. Like he he gives up more catches and maybe a little bit higher completion percentage because Fuller is playing off the line of scrimmage so much. Yeah. So I mean, in some sense. They, they were giving some easier catches underneath that weren't necessarily Fuller's fault. So I, I take a little, you know, it's hard to balance that. And I know Eddie Jackson ended up finishing with a team high 13 missed tackles this season as well. So that mm. for me detracts a little bit from what he was able to do. But I still feel like Jackson in that middle of the field, there weren't very many free safeties in the NFL that really could change games and, and make big plays the way he did and force quarterbacks to have to throw outside a lot more and throw underneath and take so many fewer shots against this Bears defense. I, I agree that Eddie Jackson had the bigger impact on this Bears defense, but uh, Fuller deserves a lot of credit for what he was able to do. And you're a pro football focus guy. Apparently Eddie Jackson graded out as like the greatest safety of all time or something like that this year. Yeah, tied for the highest since 2006. Wow, yeah. And he missed three games at the end of the season, which I can yeah. – I still – I will I will advocate until I'm blue in the face or until they do it that the Bears need field turf because it was that lousy soldier field turf that cost Eddie Jackson mm-hmm. that ankle injury that that knocked him out for the rest of the uh for the rest of the year. So yeah, they're like those those balls that Nick Foles kept floating in the first half. Couldn't you just picture Eddie Jackson falling underneath at least one of them? I kept you know? saying that while the game was going on. It's like yeah. every time he threw deep, it was just hanging up there. And the Bears yeah. got two of them, but Eddie Jackson could have got one more at least. Yeah, well, there were two other ones. There was one that where it's like on third down, he floats one up. Basically, he throws it to a spot, and Golden Tate got there and ended up going 28 yards for a first down. The other one, he just kind of seemed like he just heaves into the air, and it was Alshon that, that falls underneath it and you know ends up getting a first down on that play. It's like both times, as the, as the camera's following that ball through the air, I'm like – one of us is going to fall underneath. There's no way this isn't a pick, and it ends up being a big play for the Eagles on both occurrences uh, there. So uh, two other ones. Uh, I'm going to skip special teams player because that's that's Tariq Cohen. Um, cause you know who has a good case there, surprisingly, is Joel E.A. Booneyway. You know what? You're right. Absolutely. Because I was going to talk – because the, the next he, category was going to be rookie of the year. 
And of our draft choices, obviously Roquan, you know, had a good year. James Daniels was a heavy contributor. Anthony Miller led the team in touchdowns. Bilal Nichols had an amazing season. Javon Wims, unfortunately, only played a couple of games this year. So he's basically the only one that's disqualified. I was going to make an argument for, for Iggy, as, as it would be the easy way of saying his name, uh, making a case for him to be in there because of his impact on special teams. Yeah, he led the team with six special teams tackles and did not miss a single tackle this year. Like Houston Carson had five tackles but missed two, and Sherrick McManus only finished with three tackles and two misses, and Josh Bellamy two tackles and four missed tackles on special teams. So there you go. I mean, but it's just like another outstanding draft class uh, from Ryan Pace. He's not executive of the year. I don't want to hear it, man. I know that Chris Bullard did a hell of a job with the with the Colts, but Ballard. you know Ballard, excuse me. But you know, and he was going to be—he was actually in contention to, to to be the guy instead of Ryan Pace, but it didn't happen. But you know, Ballard—it just—I uh, was thinking Jonathan Bullard, wasn't I? Yeah, yeah. it's it's my understanding that the voting for executive of the, of the year ends at the end of the regular season, so that mm. that Cody Parkey missed field goal will not, in theory, <laughs> affect that. So I mean, if you just talk about regular season, the, uh. the Bears, Ryan Pace probably should be executive of the year. I mean, maybe. Yeah. Whatever the Chargers GM's name is that I can't think of off the top of my head, they had a nice year, but they've, they've been kind of building towards this for a while. But that's a whole other discussion. Yeah, but I don't think that anybody – like I don't think the Chargers or maybe even the the the, the Colts, he just pace, basically hit on everything that he did except for Cody Parkey. You know, aside from 2017 where basically nobody that he signed worked out for us except for Amukamura. You know, it was the complete opposite, where it's like one guy in that in that uh, free agency class going into 2017 was worth keeping. And this year, it was everybody did something. Burton, uh, uh, Gabriel, Allen Robinson, you know, making the trade for Khalil Mack. That worked out like gangbusters and, and all the rest of that stuff. I just don't know how you could argue against uh, what Ryan Pace did. So, But uh, anyway... So that was uh, so rookie of the year. Would you go? Would you go Roquan? Would you go Bilal Nichols? How would you land on that one? See, like again, it's like Roquan Smith made the biggest impact of any player, just it, purely in the role he was utilized and the number of snaps he was on the field and the tackles that he made. But I, I felt like, to me, Anthony Miller was the most impressive of the players. So I, I guess I'm not exactly sure how I want to weigh this in the sense that like <laughs> Miller, Miller to me, ex, I don't want to say he totally exceeded expectations, but when, when he said preseason that he was shooting for eight touchdowns this season, I thought he'd get three, you know, and he ends up getting seven, but yeah. still only 33 catches for 423 yards. So it wasn't like he had this season long impact that they really cut him down for a while there. So I, I, I really don't have a guy that I'm like, I mean, I guess Roquan Smith by default, but I, I guess I, I felt like Bilal Nichols and Anthony Miller in particular played better and impacted more than I maybe initially anticipated. I think they deserve a lot of credit for that. And, you know, James Daniels is in there as well. But I thought in terms of like output versus expectation, those, you know, it was Nichols and, and Miller that exceeded and Daniels was closer to where we kind of anticipated, but yeah. he didn't really play a full season. And Roquan did play a full season and was still kind of closer to where we anticipated. So, I, I guess I go Roquan by default, but I, I am not feeling great about it. Yeah, I, th I think I'm going to agree with you there. Like, you have to give it to, to Roquan. He's a, he's a Pro Bowl alternate. He may actually still get a chance to play if if things in the playoffs turn out a certain way and, and what have you. But you can't discount, you know, Anthony Miller only falling one touchdown short of his prediction. 
And I just love the kid in general because I remember talking about that when I read it for the first time was about he's, he said he's going to score eight. But the tone, I mean, and it's so hard these days when you're reading something, but the tone of what he said and how he said it didn't read cocky to me. It read confident. And there's a huge difference between the two. Confident people, you, you're, you're happy to see those succeed. Cocky people, you can't stand, like Terrell Owens and, and you know things like that. You, <laughs> you, you, you end up not liking a cocky person. You, know, you, you like somebody who's confident. There's just something different about the way they carry themselves. You, you actually want to see that person succeed. A cocky person... You're like, eh, whatever, man. You, great. Good for you. Pat yourself on the back. Because that's what you feel like. Cocky people, uh, like Walter Payton once said, if you're, if you're good, you'll tell people. If you're great, they'll tell you. To me, that's the difference between cocky mm-hmm. and confident. Uh, you know, Somebody will tell somebody who's confident that they're good at it. Somebody who's cocky will tell you how great they are. And, and that's, I think, the difference between uh, you know, a guy like Terrell Owens and when what the, the guy that I assume that Anthony Miller is or that I you – know, see him uh to be so you know but yeah it's a tough call it's anthony miller Bilal nichols roquan smith i think like you said you got to go with roquan he's the alternate pro bowler he's led the team in tackles he was on the field you know 90 percent of the defensive plays uh this year so we go with him and then finally i think we're probably both going to land on the same place here but uh we'll throw it out there anyway game of the year where you at boy game of the year that one throws me for a little bit of a loop here like (laughs) Ah, that's. I mean, the the. I, I feel like we're both going to land on the Rams game for yeah. being just kind of that monumental like statement game. But I, I mean, it's honestly that Green Bay game, the first one was it was still a really exciting game as much yes, as it, it was. was. Yeah. I mean, dreadful and and horrible, but I mean, it was still that was a that was a fun football game, and as was the Vikings game at the end of the year. But I, yeah, I think we're both going to land on. Bears beating the Rams on Sunday night football prime time spotlight on and it wasn't this huge blowout or anything but when you take four turnovers away from the Rams and and you beat you know that team the team the Bears had been compared to all along they hire Matt Nagy and it's like oh they're trying to be the next Rams and that's all we heard about all offseason and going into the year and, and to be able to beat them in week 14 it wasn't like the Rams had rested their starters and were locked into what they were trying to do yeah. I mean those were two teams fighting hard at each other and the Bears won and potentially had some confidence had they been able to rematch them in the playoffs again. We'd be especially talking about that game. So it, to me, it, it's got to be the Rams game, and I, and I know you're probably going to agree. Well, yeah, for me, it came down to those two Sunday night games, the, the, the Sunday night game against Minnesota a couple of weeks prior and then the Sunday nighter against the, uh, against the Rams because those were both those were statement games for the Bears. You know, can, you know, can we take control of our own division? We only lost, you know, one division game this year, and it was week one against Green Bay where most people expected us to lose anyway. And, but here we are. It's been flexed into national stage. If you're going to hang on to first place, this is the team you got to beat in order to do it. And we came out and we handled them even in those god-awful orange jerseys. We win the football game, and, and we shut down, the, you know, the Vikings and really, you know, just shut down the conversation as to who the best team in the division was. And then a few weeks later, I think, you know, it's, it's a one and one a for me as far as game of the year, because the Minnesota win feeds into the Rams victory. Because I think if we lose that game to Minnesota, I don't know if we have it in us to beat the Rams, because if we can't even win our own division, how are we going to beat one of the best teams in the league? And not only did we beat the Rams, but we completely shut them down. And, you know, 
he, like you said, if if I had told you that the Bears only score one touchdown in a playoff game, that's no way to win. The one touchdown we score is on a trick play to an offensive lineman, uh, and and the rest of it was defense. And if if you'd have told me that the final score of the Bears Rams game was fifteen to six, I'd say that we must have murdered the Rams if we win fifteen to six. Because uh, like in, earlier on in the conversation, you and I are in the in the season when we talked at the end of the first quarter, if you'd have told me the final score of the Bears-Bucks game was 48-10, to 10, I'd have tell you that the Buccaneers ran us off the field, not the other way around. So, I mean, it's just uh, – it, it was it was quite a game and, and said a lot about the team because Mitch threw three interceptions. He threw 410 yards, did not have a good day, and we still dom- – there was no doubt who the better team was that day. So that's why, you know, like you, I would have to go with Bears-Rams as being the, the game of the year for us especially after coming off of the Giants loss in overtime that way. I mean, to be able to come back against the Rams in in week 14 like that and make that statement after that loss that, you know, maybe that, the, the loss to the Giants established that doubt, reestablished some of that doubt in this Bears team that, that you know, well, they lost, they lost to the Giants, so, you know, how good are they going to be? Yeah. And especially Mitch coming back for that Rams game. And they, so many different factors kind of go into that to lead this team to to make that such an important game. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, everybody kind of wanted to shut down the conversation about the Bears being legit after that Giants loss because the Giants were what two and eight or three and eight or something like that at the time. Is like, yeah, this and they got beat by the Giants and they made the mistakes and and you know let the Giants in the game and all the rest of that stuff. You're absolutely right. So for and for us to rebound from that and to win despite uh, the performance from our young quarterback who was pressing uh, in that game, something that he didn't do for the rest of the year. It seemed like that was that was the one thing that I loved about watching Mitch this year was that he never really seemed to make the same mistake twice as far as what he was doing wrong in this one game. You didn't really see him do that again. And he was really pressing in that Rams game. Like he felt a lot of pressure to make something happen in that game. And instead, he just kept making mistakes. And you didn't really see him doing that for the rest of the season. Would you agree with that? Yeah, and I think a lot of the credit for that. I mean, as much as it goes to Mitch, it also goes to Matt Nagy right. that, in being able to kind of coach mistakes out of him. Where I feel like last year in, in the John Fox offense, it seemed like we saw Mitch throw interceptions in those final two-minute situations, like three or four, maybe it's more like two or three times throughout the season where the Bears had some opportunities. I think back like late against the Vikings and then again late against the Saints are the two that come to mind right away. Maybe even against Green Bay after the bye week. I don't remember that, you know, where the Bears are in it towards the end and, and Mitch tries a little bit too hard and, and throws an interception and kind of costs the Bears the game down the stretch. And it, they came back to those same mistakes a couple times throughout the year, whereas this year, you, you I, I'm with you 100%. You didn't really see... You know, we still saw Mitch continue to make mistakes, but they were different mistakes. They were different situations and rarely the same thing twice. Right, exactly. So, yeah, that's the one thing that has me really looking forward to 2019. And now to look ahead, I've been saying all year long, even throughout the successes that we had this year, I've believed all along that, or at least that, the way that I like to say it is I thought all along 2019 was the year. That's going to be the year for the Bears and after the way that this season went the progression that we saw from Mitch consistencies and and all warts and all if you will uh, everything that we saw from our defense and despite the loss of of Vic Fangio I know 2019 is the year like I know it now I thought so and you know obviously this team it far exceeded anybody's expectations as to what we thought uh, was going to be because I think you and I are both talking about it maybe nine and seven even after the Khalil Mack trade 
You know, we're still got some growing pains. These guys are playing together. First, you know, first year coach, second year quarterback, new offense, blah, 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 blah. 12 and four. And, you know, we're a doink away, a double doink, goddammit, away from, uh, you know, having a conversation or maybe even pushing this conversation back to February uh, sometime. I, I, I know that 2019 is going to be that season and that the likelihood of, of of you and I making a special uh, uh, I hate the word use the word date but uh, gathering to watch that America's game for the 2019 Super Bowl champions is more likely than it was than than I actually even before the before I thought it the more likely than I thought it was before the beginning of the season that's how I wanted to say that yeah I I struggle with that I, I really do because the schedule looks so much harder you right. know when you're playing all the first place teams but at the same time. When you look at the schedule in January, it always looks a lot harder than when you get to September and when you actually start playing the games. Because, you know, I think you and I talked about this schedule and how that stretch of, you know, the Lions and the Vikings and the Lions and then the Rams, Packers, 49ers, Vikings, that was supposed to be really, really hard stretches. But of course, things kind of tank for Detroit and Minnesota underachieves and Green Bay fires their head coach. So, I mean, especially when you look ahead to 2019 now, you, you never know what's going to happen with these teams. So, I, I, I fully believe there's every reason to be confident and, and every reason to be able to ride this momentum into 2019 but I I guess I hesitate a little bit just now before we see kind of what's going to happen in the offseason before I'm ready to go all in on 2019 just yet but <laughs> I think it's going to be another fun season at the very least I absolutely do too I, I just think there's something about um, Nagy and what he brings to the table that we're not going to be a one and done team like we have been uh, in the past where sustained sustained success has been an issue uh, for the Bears, even in the Lovey years, we we always had good teams, but putting translating that to wins was always the issue with the teams uh, on 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 under Lovey. So I mean, we we had Hall of Fame talent with Briggs and Erlacher and Tillman, and you know for a spell we had Julius Peppers and and Matt Forte, and you know we definitely had talent that could go further than a lot of those teams did. They should have gone further than they did, and and, and all the rest of that stuff. I did, there's something that Nagy's bringing to the table. He seems to be that X factor to me that, that why this team is going to either achieve or overachieve in, in some cases uh, going forward. So well, a couple more quick things before I let you go because we're really stretching this thing out. Um, number one, do we move on from Jordan Howard? No, not immediately. I don't think Jordan Howard is going to get a second contract in Chicago, but right. I don't think they're going to get rid of him before he's before his contract expires. Maybe you know the trade deadline of his last year, maybe, but I don't think I don't think they're going to be in any rush to move him this off season. Right. So if somebody really wants him and is totally willing to give up some big picks and you know, whatever in the draft, if there's the right situation, maybe. But I don't think they'll be looking to get rid of him. I think they'll probably draft another running back or, or bring someone else in just because Ryan Pace loves to add new running backs. But I, I'm not expecting any kind of clear push from the team to move on from him. Uh, thoughts on Chuck Pagano? I th I think once, like we we'd kind of talked about beforehand, once Todd Bowles came off the market, he would have been the next best guy. I think he'll be a real steadying presence for Matt Nagy. I think there's going to be times when, you know, he, expectations are a little bit unfair after you know following up Vic Fangio and playing some more difficult offenses next year. I, I don't think they're going to be the number one defense in the NFL. But when you have this much talent, I mean, this guy, the expectation should be that you're at least a top ten group, and I think that's that's fair to expect from Chuck Pagano. You know, maybe he'll be the next Vince Tobin, where it's like we had the historic Oof. defense in '85, and then in '86, statistically, we were even better. 
than we were the year before. And we won almost as many games, which was difficult to do, considering we went 15-1 and in 85. We went 14-2 and in uh, 86 and had more sacks and uh, points per game were lower and, and all that kind of stuff. So maybe we'll see if Pagano can be the next Vince Tobin. Wouldn't that be something? And then finally, the yeah. last question I want to ask, next year, 2019, is the 100th season of Chicago Bear football. Who do we start the season against? Who's the first home game against? And here are my th- here's the home schedule for starters. Obviously, Detroit, Green Bay, Minnesota. We got the NFC East. We got Dallas and the Giants, the AFC West, KC, and the Chargers. Those are two tough ones there. And then finally, our same place opponent is New Orleans. So my contenders for the um for the for the for home game number one next year obviously green bay you also have detroit because we've actually got a deeper history or more games logged in with detroit and then my dark horse is the giants because we have the those history of nfl championship games i think we played the giants three or four times in the nfl title game back in the 50s and 60s and uh, and stuff like that those are my three contenders and i think obviously the the choice is green bay but, you know, who do you think the Bears uh, should open the year against if if they're going for that? Yeah, if I, if I had to put money on it, I, I would think it's going to be a divisional opponent. And I would guess Minnesota just because I feel like, you know, I don't know if they're going to want to do back-to-back Packers. I, I feel like they try and they try and mix up the schedule. I mean, I would pick Green Bay. If, if I was hand-scheduling the, the opponent, I think Green Bay would be the best for, you know, for that 100th year and to kind of bring that history back into the game. But I for some reason, I, I feel like... Minnesota just kind of with the way the season ended this year and some of the expectations that Minnesota had last year I think Detroit would just be a little bit underwhelming I know they play close games sure. but it, clearly this season I think confirmed that the Bears and Detroit are on two separate levels and maybe the Bears were on a separate level from everybody this year but I think there's there's more there's more of a thought that Minnesota and Green Bay will at least be back on the Bears level next year at least trying to get up there and I would think Minnesota or Green Bay and I, I would put my money on Minnesota right now okay yeah I like it I you know and like I said I, I think the dark horse would be the Giants because of the because the 100th season it's going to be about history so when it comes to history those are, I think are the three teams that rank as far as like we we've played the most games against Detroit we have the deepest history with the Packers and we have I guess the most historic history with the Giants with the playoff games and the NFL championships and, and stuff like that so those are the three themes three teams that came to mind if it's up to the nfl i'm sure it'll probably either be green bay or somebody sexy like the chiefs or the chargers on sunday night football or or, or something like that Saints, yeah maybe even the saints but uh I, I think you're right i think it's probably going to be um it's going to be a divisional opponent so one of those three and like i said i, I like the giants for some reason i'm feeling the giants that's the that's the one i'm kind of leaning against but we'll have to wait and see so Lauren, I have taken up a monumental amount of your time. I appreciate you uh, sitting through all of this and helping me uh, get get through this uh, the recap of this outstanding season. Watching the games yesterday with the the Rams and the Cowboys uh, was uh, it wasn't even bittersweet. It was extremely bitter because I felt that the Bears could have won that game uh, against the Rams uh, last night. They weren't doing anything the Bears couldn't handle, and there's no way they run for two seventy three on the number one rush defense in the NFL. So, um, yeah, so watching the playoffs sucks, and I just got a text a few minutes ago that the Patriots are beating the Chargers 35-7 to at halftime, so um, that one's not going anywhere. The way I, I want the Patriots out. I want them done, and they're smoking the Chargers right now. So looks like we're going to have to see the will-he-won't-he Brady get back to the Super Bowl again in Kansas City next week. But 
Anyway, I appreciate you taking the time, taking all of this time, and um, we look forward to talking again throughout the year, man. Hey, it's it's a bright spot every year. I enjoy every time I get to join you on here, and appreciate you having me on. And I'll I promise I'll return the favor again soon. <laughs> Locked on Bears is the podcast. Where else can we find you, Lauren? Uh, on Twitter at Cox Sports One, and my Bears work is at NBC Sports Chicago and the Bears Wire. And there you have it, Lauren Cox. Locked on Bears. It's a good podcast. You'll probably be a little bit more busy throughout the off season than than I probably will be because I just won't have the strength, Lauren, to come in and talk <laughs> about it when the season's over. Sorry, but uh, appreciate the time, man, and we'll talk to you again soon. Hey, anytime. Just want to thank Lauren Cox. I want to thank all of you if you're still around two hours plus into this thing. But I want to thank Lauren uh, for giving me so much time on, on Sunday to get this uh, cranked out and covering all that we did. And even with all that we did cover, there's still a couple of more things we go over before I let you guys go. Because it's, it's, this is the long goodbye, if you will. Um, 2019 is going to be, it's going to be an interesting offseason that's going to lead to what I think will be a more interesting 2019 regular season I'm really looking uh, forward to it and and real quick let's go over the schedule or our opponents for next year obviously we we dabbled upon it uh, when I asked Lauren about the uh, the first home game of the season so we talked about the home schedule Detroit Minnesota Green Bay obviously Dallas and and the Giants uh, for the NFC East the AFC West Kansas City and the Chargers that's very interesting and then obviously the New Orleans Saints just looking at that that's a lot of tough home games, but we defended the turf very, very well uh, in 2018, and hopefully that will continue uh, into next season despite the uptick in opponents uh, for next year. Uh, on the road, obviously, Detroit, Minnesota, Green Bay. Uh, on, from the NFC East, we have the Eagles, so we have a rematch with Philly, only it will be in Philly this time. We have a, a, uh, the Washington Redskins, the other half of the NFC East, then the AFC West, we go on the road somewhere to play the Raiders. It might be in Oakland, could be in Vegas, might be in London. Who the hell knows? They, they, we, even the Raiders don't know where they're playing football next year uh, before the, uh, the new stadium is ready for them in 2020 uh, in Las Vegas. So we're on the road. Nonetheless, it will be the return of Khalil Mack to the Raiders wherever that game happens to be taking place. We'll have to wait and see. And then we revisit our, our, our near and dear Uh, Vic Fangio in Denver with the Broncos next year. And as I stated before, we have that road game with the Rams uh, as well. They're our same place opponent. The Rams and the Saints, the other first place finishers, are our same place opponents uh, for next season. So, uh, like I said, that's the one reason why I'm rooting for the Rams to win the Super Bowl is for the the opportunity, the possibility of Rams-Bears to kick off the season on national TV next year. I really hope that does. That's the one reason why I'm rooting for the Rams to win on Sunday and to win the Super Bowl in a, in a couple of weeks. I would just love it if that could actually uh, happen. So um, anyway, that's, uh, that's the schedule. The NFC East, the AFC West, with the Saints and Rams as our same place opponents along with our division in Detroit, Minnesota, Green Bay. And I was just looking at it, the, the page on the Bears website it, it lists uh, last meeting between these teams and um, not a lot of success <laughs> against these teams, man. It's uh, not good. Uh, 
Yeah, well, like uh, the last time we played the Chargers, we beat him in L.A. That was the Jay Cutler breaking his thumb game back in 2011. Uh, we lost to the Chiefs. We we beat the Giants on, uh, I think it was Thursday Night Football. Um, the Saints beat us the last time they came to Chicago in 2014. We lost to the Cowboys in 2014. That's the Tressman year. Uh, obviously, we beat Green Bay the last time to Chicago. We beat the last. We beat, we'd beat all three division opponents in Chicago. Um, and I was just looking at the Packers lead the all-time series 97 and 95 and 6. So if we sweep the Packers, we're back at 500 uh, for, the, for the series uh, with them. Uh, we're still six games back on Minnesota, 60 and 54. And we are 25 games over 500 with the, with the, the Lions. So we're, we're in a good, good spot there. But, um, oh, and the Saints game is going to be a tiebreaker. We're tied 15-15 all time with the with the Saints. So whoever wins is going to have the advantage in the uh, in the uh, in the matchup. So uh, the Bears uh, routinely beat the Eagles 29 and 15 in is the all time record. The Bears lead the Rams. We're tied with the Raiders seven and seven. We're one game back with the Broncos. We're eight and seven all time against the Broncos, and we're 26 and 23. Or I should say 23 and 26 against the Redskins. So three games back against the Redskins. Um, anyway, none of that means anything right now. That's just who's on tap. The schedule usually comes out sometime in April before the draft. So that will be a show because it always is. So look forward uh, to that. And then finally, um, we don't have a lot of salary cap space. Maybe the Bears will make some cuts to add to it. I heard Deion Sims is a good candidate. And the six million that he's owed next year would would push us over, I think, close to thirty million dollars if we do, in fact, let him go. But the free agents—it's an interesting list. There's a lot of guys that you'd like to see come back, and uh, we'll see what happens with them all. Uh, in no particular order: uh, Benny Cunningham, Michael Burton. Say goodbye to Michael Burton. Uh, Kevin White—that's I, I doubt he's coming back, but wouldn't that be interesting? Uh, Josh Bellamy. As much as I hated him at times for butterfingers and everything, the role that he played this year is the role that he should always play. Fourth receiver, fifth receiver, whatever he was, special teams guy, and also a big locker room guy as well. He's a big, uh, he's very popular on the team. Uh, tight ends Daniel Brown and Ben Broniker. Eh, yeah, well, maybe. Robbie Massey, after the year he had, it's it, that's a tough call. We'll have to wait and see on Bobby Massey. Eric Cush and Brian Witzman are also free agents. Um, that's, that's depth on the offensive line right there. I think those guys did well. I wouldn't mind seeing both the, either or both come back. Aaron Lynch, that's a conversation depending on how much he's doing, going to command. He didn't exactly light it up with sacks or anything like that. He ended the year you know, on, on the injured list with the bad elbow. That might work in the Bears' favor as far as getting a bargain on bringing him back. So, We'll have to wait and see on, on Aaron Lynch. I would not be opposed to seeing him come back. Uh, defensive tackle Nick Williams is a free agent. Roy Robertson-Harris is a restricted free agent, so we're looking at another uh, Cam Meredith situation there. Um, Ro, uh, excuse me, Isaiah Irving is a uh, exclusive rights free agent, as is Rashad Coward, who I, I who could be our right tackle of the future. We, we, we switched him from defensive tackle to right tackle, and everything that I saw in the preseason I liked for someone who's just barely learning uh, the position. I'd like to see the Bears hang on to him, see if we can't uh, you know, develop him a little bit uh, more. But either way, we're, we're going to have some new offensive linemen on the team next year. And obviously the, the two big ones 
Uh, right now, Adrian Amos and Bryce Callahan are both free agents. Uh, I would like to see both of them come back. Now, whether or not the Bears would be able to afford to do that uh, is an interesting question. If you had to make me choose between the two, even that's a tough call. I'd, I'd probably go with Amos because Bryce Callahan has a penchant for getting hurt. So this year, obviously, being an uh, example as well. Uh, DeAndre Houston Carson is a restricted free agent. Uh, cornerback Marcus Williams, who we signed uh, late in the year, is also gone. Uh, Pat O'Donnell and Patrick Scales, also free agents as well. Uh, Pat O'Donnell might be done in Chicago. We'll have to wait and see. Patrick Scales was the long snapper, so I'm not either. I'm not for or against him coming back. He's a long snapper, so we'll we'll have to wait and see there. You know, it's um, it's they're not significant names, but they are at the same time. You're, you're talking about your depth on the offensive line with Cush and, and Witzman. Uh, Roy Robertson Harris uh, played well at times uh, this season. And, uh, you know, obviously Amos and Callahan are the two big ones. And Bobby Massey, that's, a, that's an interesting discussion uh, there. He definitely played better this year than he had his first two years in Chicago where he was just a, a, a healthy, always-on-the-field liability is what he was the first two years. This year he was much, much better and, um, you know, made a case for at least coming back uh, in 2019. So it will be an interesting offseason. I will be here for you guys as much as I possibly can. Uh, I'm not much for creating something where there is nothing as far as doing uh, these shows. The only attempts that I really do at that are the opponent previews. But, um, you know, I've got some ideas for the rest of the offseason. I was thinking maybe about doing some opponent review episodes but i was also thinking that instead of doing 14 more uh, of those that maybe i would do some like round tables um you know the when i joined the uh, the network here with the armchair guys they uh exposed me to a program called uber conference which is basically like a a um a, a teleconference website where basically you know it's a conference call type thing People can call in to the, to the website, and I could have multiple people on the line. So I was entertaining the idea of maybe doing like an NFC North roundtable, an AFC East roundtable, NFC West roundtable, that kind of thing. I just think it'd probably be a, uh, you know, it'd be a, a bitch trying to get the logistics of, of trying to get all those people in the same place at the same time. But it's the offseason. I'm sure that we'll figure something out uh, with that. So maybe that will happen. Uh, maybe it won't. We'll, uh, we'll, uh, we'll have to wait and see, but like I said, stick close to the social media. Feel free to interact with me anytime you want guys. BTU underscore Larry on, on Twitter. Also armchair de bears, uh, as well on Twitter. And then the Facebook page, uh, as well, just search bears talk underground. And, uh, I am here guys. So reach out and say hello, uh, reach out with comments, retweet me on stuff and, uh, let's keep the conversation going it's going to be a long off season between now and august when the preseason starts and it's going to feel like it's going to last forever so uh we're going to need each other to get through this after our devastating loss to the philadelphia eagles and, and knowing that we could have been so much more than we ended up being it's going to be a hard off season to to get out to get through but we'll get through it we will get through it so that is going to do it guys for the 2018 year in review thank you so much if you guys are still with me here almost two and a half hours uh, into this thing. I, I appreciate your support and, and always being there for me and listening to the show and letting me know that you are, in fact, out there 
uh, listening. So I won't be gone long. I will be back. But until then, my name is Larry D, and this has been the Bears Talk Underground. We'll be right back.